Are all these records? Yeah, I've got about uh, 1,578 at this point. I've tried to pare down my collection to just the essential. Look at this room. This is like my dream room. Look at all this stuff. You are like the luckiest guy in the world. I would kill to have stuff like this. Please, go ahead and kill me. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is part one of episode two. We are going to do this for the next four weeks. We're fucking doing it. We're two th- one-third of the way there. Whether they like it or not. Whether they like it or not. And I actually haven't been looking at the SoundCloud stats, so I don't know if there is a there. Think, or they. I think there. our numbers were slightly better uh, with Big Lebowski than they were with um, High Fidelity, so... In your face. I don't care. Again, I, <laughs> if I cared, I would look. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're uh, we're doing this thing. Um, we're gonna we're gonna try to keep. Um, we set a goal for ourselves tonight. Yeah. I wonder. We shouldn't tell people what tell the, the goal, goal is. No. We're gonna say if we got At to the it. end of it, if people have just like been like, well, they're blah 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 blah, blah then we'll be like, we did it. Did it. Yeah. But we won't. Again, we won't know because if you're leaving comments or something. Tom, I will have to say before we get to the beers, uh, what is your feelings on the news stories that are breaking this week of just every major thing running again, the streaming, um, where there's a $400 million deal with Netflix for the Knives Out 2 and 3? Don't really understand why it's a $400 million deal. I would assume that's the anticipated box office. I don't think each of those films is going to cost $200 million. I would hope... Uh, I, would, I would hope not. I would hope maybe 60 to $80 million. Well, Don um, Johnson's not going to be in the new ones. So what do they need all that money for? Exactly. Uh, and uh, Barry Jenkins giving a... With his production company, giving a first-look deal mm-hmm. for uh, HBO Max. I mean... I do like this transition of, of mid-tier or films that would have been lower-budgeted and not really seen by a lot of eyes. Um, you know, not talk about Knives Out, but something like if Beale Street could talk. Getting yeah. a broader audience. I think my feeling, I, I feel the same way about it. My feeling, though, is a little different in the sense that, like, I would, I'd be interested to know what else. I hope the $400 million deal also includes two movies that aren't part of the Knives Out universe. You think, know what I mean? I don't think they do, but, yeah, you'd wish that. I hope that. I hope the same thing for Barry Jenkins, that Barry Jenkins doesn't, so Barry Jenkins is making an adaptation of Colson Whitehead's The Underworld, or The Underground Railroad. I hope that, like, whatever this, which is fine, that's for, it's going to be good for, for Amazon. Amazon, which is fine, it'll be good and all this other stuff. I hope it's not, like, here's a, here's a first look deal so long as you're making, like, some kind of IP property. Yeah. You know what I mean? As long as these deals that these streaming companies keep making with these really good, like you said, mid-tier filmmakers result in interesting movies, whether or not they work, if they're interesting, I'm, that's good. And keep I would, doing that. I would wonder what the eyes are. Like, we, we don't get a lot of viewership numbers from HBO Max or Netflix, but I wonder, for example, like what Unsane's numbers were mm-hmm. compared to Laundry Mat 
or high flying bird oh, or yeah, like yeah. let them all talk. I wonder what those like if I would assume more people saw those latter three movie than Unsane. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, initially in its its you know, first month of release. Was Unsane on Unsane was, was just a theatrical release. Oh right. right, right. Okay, um, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I do wonder, like, is this helping reach a broader audience? I, and I that'd don't be, know. that'd be nice. I think we'd have to assume yes. I think just based on some of the numbers at Netflix, when they choose to put release numbers, like, give out, like, um, you know, however Although, many tens of millions of people, like, watched half of some shitty Sandra I mean, Bullock movie or Extraction or... All that being said, like, there's been several articles about how, like, this Oscar race has the least amount of eyes on the films in it, and I thought I'd say... Can they this know Oscar, that, though? But this Oscar... I mean, I, I don't... Maybe? I, I, haven't, I haven't really dwelled deep into the articles yet. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder, like, what the viewership numbers are of these films, given that, you know, the vast majority... What didn't hit? Minori, Promising Young Woman, The Father, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about today. Nomadland. Uh, no, but those three are the ones that didn't make streaming services, right? Because Judas made streaming. Mank. Oh, yeah. Um, Nomadland made okay, streaming. Okay, I see what you mean. So, so most of those made streaming services, I, re- I think, just promising... Promising Young Woman, Minari, or just off the top of my head, Minari and The Father are the three that didn't. Mm. Um, they went video on demand pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that might not be 100% correct, but I'm just doing Well, and they memory. also, I mean, so they went video on demand, but they also did, like, interesting on-demand stuff. So, like, you know, I, I we saw Promising Young Woman as a screener. It did not do the Minari thing where it got its own kind of uh, distributor screening room that you had to pay $20 to enter and was sold out for, like, two weeks or whatever, and I don't know how many people watch that. I have to imagine that this is going to be one of those weird years where there's a lot of people... These movies were just kind of out in various ways for so long. Maybe a lot of people saw them, but they just... It's like the most untraditional eyeball count ever. Um, I don't know. Probably what's the most watched movie, do you think, out of these these seven movies? I uh, would, the eight mo- of the eight movies, um, I would assume Mank... Or Trial the Chicago 7, probably. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, the only three that were not released to a streaming service immediately. Because um, Nomadland was released almost immediately and on theaters and Hulu at the same time, correct? I guess so, yeah. Even though they did that kind of drip, drip, drip. Yeah. Um, I, I would assume Mank is probably... Probably too, but that was really interesting. Because like, the two movies that are falling like stones out of every, like out of the odds makers things are like... Trial of the Chicago 7 now and is Mank. slated to win nothing. And Mank, Mank is, is production, production design, design and possibly cinematography. Maybe cinematography. Yeah. Like, that's it. So, uh, you know, and again, those are just odds. Those things could be wrong. Um, but, you know, the way that Oscar races are now run, it seems like everything's kind of pretty much set in stone. The odds makers have a pretty Sounds good sense of Sounds of Metal was the win. Best Picture nominee. I couldn't remember, by the way. Which is also available on a streaming service, yeah. but I'm assuming nobody watched it. Yeah, no, I'd assume that's the least watched of the bunch. But I, I mean, I, I think people just got to get used to it. I think people yeah. just assume that, like, stuff's going to come back or, you know. Um, and I think, I actually think, um, uh, from, from a standpoint, like, Amazon is doing a really good job with advertising their new releases, mm-hmm. where I think HBO Max is doing an okay job, and it shows up on your splash page, but Netflix isn't I kind of forget that Netflix exists a lot of times now. No, that's true. But Netflix, a lot of, for a lot of their 
big re- and and Hulu's awful at it for a lot of their big kind of like art house releases. Mm-hmm. Um, for I remember with Hulu, I had to search for Nomadland like the day of release to mm. get to it. Uh, with like Mank was there, but a, some of their other big releases of like just that day, like his house. I mean, his house wasn't a major release, but I'm trying to think of. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, it might have actually been like Midnight Sky. Mm. I had to like go down a little bit to find it. Yep. But Amazon will not only like will give you literally the second row down will just be like three advertisements for the big release of that day, and they did that with even Sound right. of Metal. So that's really interesting, and I think the reason behind that is that. Amazon, those movies are the reason that people kind of maintain like an Amazon presence. They get it for the two free two-day shipping, which now is however many days the post office wants it to be. Um, but I think they're not necessarily in... Well, it's not even the post office anymore. Amazon just delivers it now. Well, but they still there's still some stuff that kind of... You never know where it's going to come from. Yeah, and then exactly. it's two days later and you're just like, oh, it's UPS. That's weird. Um, that Amazon is not like a content churning operation really i think they thought they they could be they have a specificity right so it's like what they need you to do is they need you to watch sound of metal they need you to watch you know um remember beautiful boy like they just hammered beautiful boy for like i feel like until their next oscar bait came out they were just like please watch beautiful boy watch this we paid the same thing with watch um, it and manchester by the sea was a major one but yeah netflix is just a content machine they don't really give a shit if you watch men because as long as you watch something else and the same thing they're gonna they're gonna gear towards you the most popular right i use hulu to watch seinfeld reruns at 11 o'clock at night when i just want something on the tv while i eat a sandwich exactly Um, that's what i want use hulu for i don't it's not in my I head. Think, watch Nomadland. I think overall, maybe HBO Max is doing the best job of it. Where it's just like it's right there. They have a lot of material, but like on that Friday and Saturday when you pop up, um, or whenever it releases, or that first week when it releases, the first thing you're going to see is this is our thing, and then it will shift out. Well, that feels to me a little prestige. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's and to see. Like, have HBO Max deliver such a variety of products, but when I opened it up to see Judas and the Black Messiah, the very first thing I saw mm-hmm. was Judas and the Black Messiah, or, like, the little... Well, I guess the little things was their their second mm-hmm. theatrical streaming release. To have that be something that popped up initially was exciting. It had, the, it had a bit of, like, a marquee-ness to it. Yeah, and they have a good... Uh, they have a... Uh, uh, um... Because they're a production, because Warner Bros. is a production company and stuff like that, these new things seem very curated and of a whole, where Hulu just seems like they're just like, look at all the things we bought. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, that's that's Great. cool. That's yeah. like a cool group of movies. I don't get it, but like, awesome. And Netflix, it's like, look at all these Australian cartoons that we have. And then also, this movie is nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. We don't care which one you watch. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting over the next couple of years as we really transition to a world where streaming plays a dominant role after the Warner Bros. deal um, with, I forgot the, not, is it Regal locally? I think, I know it's mm-hmm. Cineworld internationally where, you know, now their films are going to be released on HBO Max after 45 days, which yeah. is an incredibly tight window. It's going to be interesting to see as we transition to that streaming dominant world finally mm-hmm. um, in the post pandemic, like, how you know marquee prestige films are presented uh yeah i mean and there may not be such a thing as a traditional marquee prestige film anymore i mean especially in theaters it might just be although i mean i was looking up dates for 
July for like the rent your rent the theater type stuff. And as far you can the the furthest they'll let me go out is like the middle of May, mm. and uh, you can still watch. Now they're not even doing like first run movies anymore. They're just doing digital copies of like yeah. <laughs> whatever what they think people will pay ninety nine dollars to sit in a like a theater alone not to watch. Lawrence of Arabia. Not Lawrence of Arabia, but you can watch uh, Hairspray. You the, can watch the, the John Waters version. Or... No, 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 the the 2007 version. Um, yeah, they had a lot of like, Land Before Time. Can you imagine watching a digital transfer of Land Before Time on like a huge screen now? I couldn't imagine renting Land Before Time for 99 cents on Amazon. No, let alone paying 99 dollars. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that's the thing. Maybe the uh, maybe film. Maybe movie theaters will become kind of like the Alamo Draft House type that that'll be the transition where everything is very experiential um even much more so than it is now i think these tentpole films stay in theaters i do not think in 10 years um a lynn ramsey film gets a theatrical release no but the thing it won't get a theatrical release at the disney or apple or amazon or whatever owned multiplex but if but there's you'll a kind of, you'll have to travel if there's a, you'll have to you'll have to make the but 40 maybe that's, a, but that's the thing maybe that, maybe this is maybe that's a new movement is that like and maybe you and me start it and that's where we go after this podcast and we are announcing it right here me and mario are starting an independent <laughs> film chain oh god um no but maybe they do maybe they, there's just like big buildings everywhere and people are just like i'll build a two-screen theater with like uh a jake a lot of uh but jacob burns uh, not Jacob Burns, uh, the Burn, you know what I'm talking Jacob about. Jacob Burns Film Center, yeah, yeah, Jacob Burns, a lot of those become kind of marquee event places. Sure. You can Which would be get cool. filmmakers or, or film critics in there to do a Q&A afterwards. That'd be, right. that'd be great. Because um, the people who are going to see those movies would stick around for But that. the benefit of those things is, I mean, I guess you can have a beer now at the North Haven movie. I don't know. I feel weird having a beer watching Godzilla and King Kong with like but, my kids around well, and stuff like this. I mean, it's one of the exciting game. things of my my new number one in the pivotal film. I mean, it didn't influence this at all, but was having a Q and A with a Yale film a Yale mm. film scholar or professor. Yeah, afterwards. make it an event. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's good. Good. Let's just change things. I'm yeah, for change. Make, make it a, a film experience, but make it also a theatrical. Has a stage theater experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's. That was. But sometimes you do enjoy a good stage theater experience with a beer, right? Oft, oftentimes. Although mm-hmm. sometimes you don't want to get up because the seats in the stage theater are like too close together. Yeah, like, that's yeah, a pain yeah, in the yeah. ass. Um, so, Mario, I, I really wanted to. This is so. This that's, a, be, that's a big bag. Yeah. My wife just got it. It's really obnoxious and I hate <laughs> it. I felt like a super asshole, like carrying it from my car in the parking lot. Like, um,. I want to do this beer for a while, but we always have themes, and the theme is never matched this beer. Okay. And one of the things I so I was like, I like looked up like a bunch of Ghost World. I looked up a bunch of like they know that's in the title. Oh yeah, I looked up a bunch of Ghost World. Ha ha ha! I'll leave it. Um, themed like words and phrases and shit like that, hoping to find something relevant. And I was like, none of that. Like you know, there's a couple of things with ghosts or whatever. I was like none of this fucking works. I was like, what is ghost world? I was like ghost, ghost world pigeon porter from Nepco is is um, simple. It's a simple movie. You know what I mean? It's um, you know I have thoughts about Nepco that we don't have to talk about now because we made an agreement. Um, 
wanted a simple beer. And the first thing that came into my head was this beer that I've been wanting to do. And it's and it, it is that in and of itself. I, I first encountered this beer, I think, in late 2000, the winter of 2019 or early 2020. I think there was a beer fest at the College Street Music Hall. Do you remember that? <laughs> Did you talking. go to that? No, you talked about that. Okay. So... It's just the College of Music Hall was full of breweries, and you just you know you walk around and there's get you have each place you get a little cup, um, and they fill your little cup with some kind of triple box shit, you know, some all hipsters and their goddamn beards, there's and some puree, backwards and hats, and bottle, wearing like fucking uh, tank tops, you know, colored knit tank tops, and and that don't fit with elaborate belts and stuff in the middle of winter, just and just, just terrible. Not not fat, but got the big old beer belly. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But like only skinny but, but arms, like, but just like but no, here. but no, like you know, love handles, just belly. Right, right. You got to be like me yeah. and just be all the way like just chunky. That's the best way to be. So I'm drinking all this stuff and I'm hammered. I'm just you just get hammered so fast this thing, and I'm drinking all this stuff and then all of a sudden I turn this corner and there's these there's just these two black women there, and they hand me a beer. And I'm just oh, like, I, I drink it, and I'm like, oh. Does it have a real musicality to it? It does. And it was just, it was the perfect, it was just simple, it was just a beer. It's like in 4-4. Four, 4-5-5. Four. Four, five, five. <laughs> I got the I'll get that one. This, oh, because it's 5.5 5 ABV. Oh, got it. Um, get it? Yeah. Um, but it, I, I named the beer, right? Yeah. I guess, didn't you? Yeah. It is um, Rhythm Brewing. Which is the first, I believe, black-owned brewery in Connecticut. Yep. I believe that is correct. Um, this is a good beer. It's an unfiltered lager, 5.5 ABV. This is real drinkable. That's it. I got. I thought JP might be coming, so I got, a, I got 12 of them in here. Um, I think it's it's a simple can. It's I, a simple beer. Yeah, I know beer. what this tastes like. I always like it. I never get it because I just it's a little expensive for a 5.5. Um, actually, it's not too. It's not too bad. Though. It's only like ten bucks, but mm. it's a good beer. It is a good beer, and that's kind of hitting. I love. I love just drinkable beers that have a lot of body. It's got and a lot of flavor to it. Yeah, but it doesn't like. It's not costing you anything to no, just kind of it tastes, sit and. It tastes like a the old Sierra Nevada of mm. of long ago, where it has like a lot of hoppy forwardness, which apparently is South African hops. But no, I don't. That's what they said on the website. Um, yeah. So the, what does it say here? This American-style lager combines uniquely paired hops and malts brewed for a smooth, palate-pleasing, full-flavored taste. Um, yeah. That's a... Unfiltered. And I like the unfiltered... So, I like tasting the unfilteredness. Oh, this, okay, is, this is... This is doing its job. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a solid, solid beer. Um, it's hard, actually, to find often at, brew, at um, liquor stores. But if you're ever in Connecticut... You want a good drinkable beer? Amity Wine and Liquor on uh, 63. It's too far away from me. Okay, yeah, but they always have it. But when I say not available in liquor stores, I mean like in walking distance because I barely drive. So I feel like that's weird. This is so local and it's so unique. Yeah. Just, and it's good. It is really good. Um, so just have you know, it. You know why you shouldn't drive? You know when you shouldn't drive, Tom? When shouldn't you drive? Uh, when you don't know if you're in your own, your own house. Well, yeah, that's good advice. Um. If it could be your house, it could be somebody else's house. Um, it should have been your house, but now it's not your house, and you're not sure what's going on because you've reached that age where things are winding down um, and you're forgetful. Uh, 
the best I can do with this. Uh, we're talking about um, Florian Zeller's first feature, Best Picture nominated, The Father. Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How oh, do you do, sir? I say you're gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> I must say he's charming. Yeah, not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is she? I'm here. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes, didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. Isn't it? Anthony is a man uh, in his 80s, I believe, uh, who is believing he's still living in his own flat. He has a caretaker because he is suffering from dementia. Um, his daughter is also looking after him, but his daughter is planning to move from London to Paris with her boyfriend. Um, Anthony is convinced that his caretaker is stealing from him, stealing his watch, uh, and also that he will refuses to move from his flat that he's lived in for 30 plus years. Uh, as the story progresses, he begins to kind of lose time and place uh, and general space. Uh, he sees um, people come in who are told to be his daughter, Anne, played by Olivia Coleman, but suddenly they're Olivia Williams. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Paul, uh, the... Um, Paul was the ex-husband, right? Yeah, Paul, mm -hmm. the ex-husband of Anne, but sometime in Anthony's mind, the current husband of Anne is Mark Gatiss, and sometimes it's, you know... Rufus Sewell coming back into the picture. Well, I just, me and my wife had a conversation about him. So Mike. glad seeing Rufus Sewell. Every time I see him, I'm like, yeah. But he always plays like the same character. We thought he was the same character from uh, that movie, The Holiday. That he, after he ditched Kate, after Kate Winslet ditched him, he was just like shacked up with Olivia, Olivia Coleman. Coleman. Uh, and has, has we learned, he you know, a new caregiver, Laura, reminds Anthony, uh, played by Imogen Heap, some reminds Anthony of his, uh, Imogen Other, Poots. Imogen Poots. Imogen Heap is a band. <laughs> good, good band, though. Uh, dear sister. Um, Imogen Poots reminds him of his other daughter, Lucy, who won't visit him anymore. Um, he, you know, has re kind of progressed through this nightmare of a scenario. Antony kind of flows through time. Um, days become years and everything becomes unstuck like a actual real life billy pilgrim situation mm. um pictures that were up on the wall are suddenly no longer on the wall and people who were there are suddenly no longer there and haven't been there for years and those people are back mm -hmm. uh he is in one place and then another place and his daughter's there and it's not his daughter and then eventually he's in a nursing home and he's in a hospital and his daughter who wasn't around had died long ago from an accident um 
and uh, it eventually coalesced down to the fact that Anthony has been, you know, suffering from dementia for years. His daughter's Olivia Coleman, played by Anne, has or played by Anne. Anne has been taking care of him, and eventually has decided that he needs to transition to living in a nursing home, and has reclosed the film. He is now living in a nursing home. Um, Mark Gatiss, who's played partially the role of, you know, the son. Rufus Sewell, who of the son-in-law, Rufus Sewell, the, the former husband, um, is one of his nurses, and Olivia Williams, who's also now his nurse at the um, nursing facility, is um, has was playing this character is now one of the nurses. I don't know necessarily if Imogen Poots was Lucy or if she was Laura. I assume she was Laura overall, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, we close the film with... with I want to say almost a moment of lucidity where Antony kind of realizes um, he's demented, which is that he's, he's suffering from dementia, which is like the, I don't have all my leaves speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of, we kind of close on that and just kind of him in a nursing home, his, his kind of like final stage from that major mild cognitive impairment until the last stages of, um, you know, undefined dementia. We, we, we would assume Alzheimer's, um, doesn't really seem like a Louis body dementia issue. Uh, this movie is for me a marvel. Um, it is Anthony Hawkins' best performance. Uh, his she has two straight years of two of his best performances of his life. Um, and this is somebody who had Silence of the Lambs on his list, but did these blow his hand lector away. Um, Re, I remarked last year how it kind of it was kind of I was kind of unsure if you know his Pope Benedict was more a matter of his aging mm-hmm. and but playing that role and absolutely this movie proves that it is because he is fully in control of this role. Mm-hmm. This role requires such a, a careful and close consideration of the performance being done mm-hmm. uh, that I. I, I you know, texted to you that it almost feels like he's more present in this film than he did in the two popes, but uh, he's yeah, still, 100%. but he's, but he's still performing this role with such grace. Yeah. Um, it has one of the most devastating final monologues of recent memory. Uh, everyone else does their, their best to, to the, the umph degree. I'm not necessarily 100% convinced on Olivia Coleman's uh, nomination, but I just think it's because it was an incredibly solid year for Best Supporting Actresses. Um, Yorgos Lamprino's editing is fucking top-notch on yeah. this. It's, it's, this movie has been presented as a drama. I think it's probably the year's best horror film. This mm. is one of the most horrifying. It plays like it. It plays like a horror film. And it's one of those films that has such a, a close and careful consideration of presenting, you know, we, we've done the years of with Away From Her and um, not Cachet, but what was, what was. Um, Amour? Amour. We've done the Through the Eyes of the Caretaker for years mm-hmm. but to have it now done through the eyes of the afflicted yeah. of the person suffering it it is done with such grace but such horrifying closeness that it it i i fail to think of where this movie doesn't stumble to be honest if typically i do not like when the white guy 
tokenly beats the black guy who should have won the Oscar. But if either Anthony oh. Hopkins or Chadwick Boseman wins the Oscar this year, I'm I'm fine with it. Um, this is his best performance by far. Yeah, I think it's it's it's. Um, I agree, and I made the same comments. I had the same thoughts comparing um, the two popes' performance to this performance. Um, I also I think the horror movie thing is interesting, and, and you kind of pointing to Lorgos, Yorgos Lamprinos, I think, is really funny because I just wasn't paying attention to the opening credits, and I actually thought it said Yorgos Lathimos. I did too, and, and I, I was like, like I suddenly got my phone, and I was like, what about it? Oh, okay. So I, I didn't. Put it down. I didn't look it up right away. It was. It wasn't until after like midway through the movie when I was looking something else up that I was like, oh yeah, it's not. But it was in my head. Well, that's that's and then better. As I was watching it, I was like, okay, I get it. Like he, you know, Florian Zeller is directing this movie like in a kind of Yorgos Lathimos um, style and a, like a little bit of it, like borrowing a little bit of the aesthetic, which has a bit of a horror movie like quality to it. You know what I mean? There's that like heightened edge to a lot of the stuff that he's doing and like his use of opera is, you know, in classical music is also very Yorgos Lathimos and it's like, no, cool. Like he's doing a really good job with this and then he's not doing it and maybe he's borrowing it. It doesn't really matter. But it, I think the movie puts you, it's disorienting not because of the way that its narrative is conveyed, which is, which is to say that it's not like it doesn't have a traditional narrative at all. Hmm. It's disorienting because it puts you firmly in the 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 headspace of the existence, sometimes even like the physical space of this person who is just coming apart, Vanya. Like, and it, it is it is exhausting, but in in like a good way. It is frightening in like ways that you kind of you know you can see the realism in this and you kind of can overlay some of the things that are happening does this on... does this not exist in that same headspace that a lot of people put Requiem for a dream and i necessarily don't but where i love this movie yeah but i will never recommend this movie to somebody well so i mean my wife Unless said the same the right person me and my wife said the same thing i was like you do not let your sister watch this movie because she's going to internalize every single moment of this i told i told, Meg, I told megan the same thing i was like i fucking love this movie I don't think you should ever watch it. Right. And it's it, cuz it's it's fucking tough. And that moment that moment at the end when you talked about um that monologue which I I like imagined on a stage would have been just like it's like the fucking payoff for this whole thing is you get like my lead. This is a hugely critically lauded play, right? I don't like, know. I would assume. I think it's it's too old for me. I was not paying attention to plays at that point, and it's very French. I'm not sure it got here at all. Did it? No, I don't think it ever. I don't don't think it got here. Um, I mean, it got made into a French film, which I never saw. But it's was it? It's 2012. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, it was. It was very well received. Oh no, it did get here. Uh, Franklin Jello, right? Franklin oh, okay. Jello did the role. Oh, so that would have been awesome. Ooh, that would have been good. That would have fucking hurt. Um, but it's really, really good. I mean, I think my only... I could have seen that, too. God damn it. That's why I need to pay attention to uh, plays. You never, it never occurs to me until later to, like... Er, er, no, no digressions. Yes. Um, my only hole... Okay, my only hole, if I could put one in, it's just a film thing, is that there's, there's a couple of moments where, like, we switch perspectives a little bit, where, like... We're so, like, attached to, like, Anthony's perspective that when 
you know, you get the uh, the see the brief scene of Anne like at the at the, at the grocery table? store. Oh, okay. Like, like whether geez, why would he be like? We're so locked in his head the whole time, and he's like the way everything's kind of shifting and moving. Why would he be imagining her like at the grocery store? Have we switched perspectives? And I would imagine if we had been switching perspectives, they would have given her. Don't switch perspectives to give her like a moment at the grocery store. Switch perspectives to give her some well, like some some meat, something to chew on. And I agree. And I think I think what works best is the scene where Annie's gone to bed, and um, Paul, you know, Rufus Sewell, and Anne are at the table, kind of discussing it, and it's. It almost works in a sense of a logic puzzle, like an LSAT logic puzzle, where you're because like, it, okay, I can understand now. Right. I can understand now that Mark Gatiss is the nurse. Rufus Sewell was the husband. I can understand my position in place and exactly where we are in time. Well, and the fact and that then it, as you you kind of like it kind of like offboards you from the experience for a second right. to ground you with the narrative and then brings you back. And the fact that that it. I think the scene we're talking about the, it loops. You know what I mean? It kind of starts in one place no, and it does. loops. Which is perfect in terms of, like, from a, his perspective thing, in that it's a conversation that he overheard, but in his mind it starts here, and then it comes here, and then it's here. It just is kind of... Um, but and, and, like, but reduce the part that he wasn't privy to. Sure, sure, sure. But it's, it's almost because we can see the part he wasn't privy to because at some point he was privy to something. And he's kind of, just like from the, like the way the movie works, he's kind of like privying himself to things he wasn't privy to. Mm. You know, he's he's his mind has become a puzzle that he's kind of put together, you know, in a kind of reverse like a reverse loop or something. Um where he thinks things are that aren't and but they in a lot of ways they still are. My so my one Which is not a whole. Yeah. I mean it's it it downgrades my grade none. It's no, just absolutely. a thing that I was kind of and like, I, ah, don't do that. I would say, like, my my one criticism is also not really a criticism either. It's more a criticism, I guess, of the culture, where I think we've already... We, everyone, we're looking at Anthony Hawkins' performance, which is absolutely we should be. But then we go, like, we got to look at something else here. And I, I think we look at Olivia Coleman's performance, but I feel Olivia Coleman's performance is a little more journeyman. Whereas I really, for some reason... If we're going to look at somebody in this film from a supporting role, I think we look at Olivia Williams. I, I think Olivia Williams. Agree. I, I, I told you. I, I told you when I when I texted you. Uh, when I texted you about this, that I didn't realize that that was Olivia Williams. Oh uh, no, I'm good still. Um, I didn't realize like when uh, Anthony's confused by um, Anne coming in, now played by Olivia Williams instead of Olivia Coleman. Like it just didn't connect with me, right? Because Olivia Williams is. Doing the body work of Olivia Coleman, and it, I had to go back after I finished the film and watch it. Go like, oh, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. I just for some reason in my head, it was like the makeup. It was like makeup work that made Olivia Coleman look mm-hmm. different. Um, and then just in that that final scene, that, that how well she's playing off of that. Like, well, I, I, yeah. I think Olivia Coleman's greatness, but I think Olivia Coleman's acting in her own sphere. Like with um, like I think Olivia Colman and Image and Poots are kind of acting in their own spheres and doing their own thing, uh, you know, next to Anthony Hawkins' performance. And I think Olivia Williams and um, uh, Mark Gatiss, especially, also are kind of like working with it. And well, I think I think they work 
like I've always said this, a supporting performance really supports your main focus, and Olivia Williams is fucking doing that well, work in those moments thing, to lift it. I, I, if I push back, it's not like to push back like you're wrong. It's that I think it's one of those kind of like, if Olivia Coleman's not good in this, if, if Olivia Coleman's not oh. doing the appropriate amount of work, the movie kind of can't really no, stand. she absolutely right. is doing the but work. But what I, what I think you're saying is that she's... And because I kind of had like a similar feeling, she's hit all the notes that I expect her to hit. So when he is, when Anthony Hopkins first meets Imogen Poots, Laura, Lucy, whatever, um, and he's he stopped being charming and he's like laying into like Olivia the whiskey, Coleman, the whiskey scene, the whiskey yeah. scene. I expect her to make. I trust Olivia Coleman. I expect her to... I knew what she was going to do, and she did it, and she did it great. The end of the movie, though, I think... And I don't know this, because I haven't had to go through it, and hopefully I'll never have to go through it or whatever. Her... The care and patience, but also the expertise that she supplies... Olivia Williams. And Olivia Williams. Anthony with, while he's breaking down. But also the confusion... While you're, while you as a viewer kind of like understand what he's saying, when he's like, I, I can't see the or can't feel the leaves right. or whatever, I'm losing the leaves, and then her response of like, what are you saying? Like, it, yeah. Well, so she's another hole, and maybe this downgrades it a little bit. Is that and this plays to what we were just talking about? Is that my one problem with this movie is that Anthony Hopkins, so which is, makes it very much a play, is that Anthony Hopkins is. I don't know what his character. I know I don't know anything about him. He is dementia. You know what I mean? By the time we kind of meet him, he's an engineer. I would maybe he tap danced. See, I disagree. I think I think you're, it's played off as he was a miserable fuck. No, no, but like, we like in his previous life, like I think before then, maybe. I don't know though. It's hard to say. Like we don't have. There's not. Maybe we don't need a lot of evidence. I think it's. What I find so great about the Olivia Williams performance is that by the end of this movie, we've kind of seen him run the gamut from kind of being like super charming to being a huge fucking asshole to being possibly miserable to being possibly misunderstood to being like maybe to be definitely a victim of some kind of of, of abuse from Paul at one point mm-hmm. um, to just like the like the overall sadness of of having. To be left, like in a in in the the place into the in the nursing home, which has really nice moldings. I mean, it's really nice. It's a really nice place. And that statue, Jonah Hogg, in the front developed it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's an interesting. That'd be an interesting twist on this movie. Um, <laughs> if she directed it, Superhero um, Part Three. But she's she gets to react to what we know is happening, mm. where. Olivia Coleman doesn't ever get to kind of react to his dementia See, in a way that, like, she's willing to say, like, you have dementia. And I guess, and I guess, like, and that's even, really, and I, I find never, her that I find that aspect of her character really very powerful. And I guess, actually, to to give credit to Olivia Coleman's performance, the two moments where um, Anthony kind of says, like, Anne is the stupid one. Mm-hmm. You know, and also mentions like the mother's alcoholism, mm. um, and her like Olivia Coleman's acting and response to that isn't necessarily a, a, a performance of shock. It's a performance of just like 
this is what he always felt mm. sort of thing. Yep. Speaks volumes to, I think, the type of person he was, you know, when sure. he wasn't when he wasn't suffering. It, it gives you a, a view of the fact that he was always a troublesome sort of person. Like yeah. before, you know, before he, he started suffering from dementia, suffering with dementia, suffering with dementia. Yeah, I don't know. Um, One of them. I'm trying to. Say I'm, the sure there's, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's a there's a correct way, but I, I don't know. Suffering by dement? I don't know. Um, maybe they. Just, it's the suffering that they would yeah. object to. I don't know. Um, yeah, but before this period of time, that he was somebody who was a problematic figure, and I think Olivia Coleman's performance in those two scenes really sells who he was prior. And to I, this, and I would argue time. just that like. I'm fine with him being a problematic figure. I guess I would argue the movie is so heavily focused on like one like a moment almost that he's kind of overlaid with a lot of other moments mm-hmm. that is there what is the nature of his his problematicness? Yeah. You know what I mean? And we just we don't get a lot of that. So if it but goes I think I think it works from the nature oh. of the narrative being told. Sure. I, it, I mean, it's, it definitely, his, it's his story. It definitely works. And it's definitely, like, I love the fact that it's an hour and 37 minutes. I mean, it's, it's just, barely, it punches you in the face and then it it's fucking not an gets hour. It's, it's an hour and, like, I think that's, like, with credits. Right. It's like an hour and um, It hits you and then it, and then it leaves, um, which is just great. Um, especially when so many movies you're ex- are just way too long. You're exhausted by the end of it, too. Oh, like, fuck yeah. Uh, ten more minutes and... Well, we stopped it because um, we it just... suffers from the anti. It's the anti Nomad Land problem. Yeah, Nomad Land just overstays its welcome. Mm-hmm. Nomad Land, I think, would have worked well with eighty minutes. Well, would have worked well with a lot of other changes too. But... <laughs> yeah, but, but I like think... we so we turned it off. So we watched the the Yukon Women game first, and then we put the kids to bed, and then we turned this on. We kept the kids awake, and we're just like, let's watch the father. This is going to happen to daddy one day. There's filial responsibility <laughs> laws in Connecticut, so if I'm under 65, you got to deal with And it. my kids are just like, who have been very much like, we're never moving, or like, we want to move. Um, so we started late, and we turned it off like with after like 30 minutes left, before before the kind of, the, like the major turn, yeah. before the slapping scene and stuff like that. Uh, and I'm going to be honest with you, I debated like not turning it back on. Not because like I didn't think it was so good, because I felt like we could have had me and my wife could have had a conversation about it like all day, just based on the first hour. But I was just like, I just don't know if I want to go back to this place. Yeah. Like it's just too it's just too hard. It's heavy. And it's heavy. that is a credit to the filmmaking that that is the case. You know what I mean? That's, that's a it. that's a good movie when it hits you and is you're reacting to it viscerally and not just kind I mean, of up here. His final, his final speech is the first time I've cried at a film that's hit me emotionally in a part where your gate, your the the filmmaker is actively gauging for that emotion since Widows. Well, and this- like like that, his final speech is the first scene since Widows, um, the the se- the sun scene. Yeah. Uh, that actually, you know, like Steve McQueen wanted to elicit that emotion in that moment. Florian Ziller wanted to elicit that emotion in that moment. That, that was there, were, there was an intentionality behind both of those scenes. And this is the first time that's been successful well, I don't, in two and a half years. And I don't want this to sound callous or cold or mean or any of the other things. But I said to my wife, I was like, this is one of the rare movies when you just want the protagonist to die. 
Like that is a relief. That would be for resolving him and for everyone else. But like, just like you would know that this man is not going to suffer. And I love mm-hmm. that this movie, like he cries for five minutes, and then she's like, "It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right." But you know what? When the by the time the camera cuts away from him, he is not all right. And she's like, "In a few minutes, it's going to be okay." And the movie, the the camera just lingers there because he's going to forget. Yeah. Because he's going to forget. But the camera just lingers there, almost. Wanting the viewer to put in their head, like, I want it to last a couple minutes, uh, uh, like a second. I want to wait until that beat where he forgets so I can leave knowing that he's forgotten. But but he doesn't. It just kind of cuts away because that's maybe that's the moment. Maybe the moment of lucidity you're talking about is like... It's going to it and going to it and going to it. And maybe the moment of lucidity well, is melts. achieved, like, right at the moment the, it cuts away from him. He's like, well, I'm alone. I'm lost. And it's at his, like, it, lowest moment. And but that's it, just I think, I think the moment of lucidity, I mean, at least for me, it melted in the sense, like, he has this moment where he realizes he thinks, you know, Olivia Williams was his daughter. He's, like, he gets mixed up with that. And then also he's like... I'm and no, no, sorry. He sees Mark Gatiss. Mm-hmm. He thinks Mark Gatiss was the son, but then he sees him as a nurse. He's like, "Oh no, he's always been the nurse." Mm. And like that's why he says the leaves. And then he starts saying like, "I want my mommy." But then he says, "Who?" But I says he want my mommy. Yeah. And then it kind of flows back into his dementia, where he thinks his mom can come and get him. But it also kind of goes. It takes the the dementia. I think goes so much further. And this is, I mean, again, I feel bad for Anthony Hopkins. And I, I mean, I feel bad for Chadwick Boseman and his whole family and the world that he is dead. But we are left with this incredible incendiary performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And he, like, if he wins it, he deserves it. But yeah, no, like I said, down. both of them are. are I, I'm fine with both of them. Who am I? Or who am I? Or however he phrases that is crushing. And he earns the crush is earned by every word he utters through the whole movie it almost gets to the point where you don't it's a thing you don't want him to ask you know what i mean and it's that is the horror movie you know what i mean that is the moment where you're just like it's it's not where you can't even regard it as a good movie anymore where you're just like i don't want this man to feel this way anymore and this feels weird to watch. And from a and from a like a casting choice, it's 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 such a re, like a remark. I, I read this on Reddit, but there's such a I just hadn't thought about this. Like Anthony Hawkins has for his post, you know, um, Science of the Lambs career, played characters who are firmly in some sort of position of control. Mm-hmm. Like two popes, he's starting to play a position where he's losing that control. Meet Joe but Black. Have... He's just yells at death. He yeah. tells death what to do, but he's plays this in a in an absolute utter, you know, fetalness. I guess would be the best way I can think of the verbiage right now. Yeah, to have such like a lack of control at all times that when he's you know this this actor you've seen perform for the past thirty years, who's always you know playing forty chest, being slapped by Rufus Sewell. Who's been that was, I mean, the pinpoint awful. bad guy forever. <laughs> Not even just a bad guy. Pinpoint shithead. Yeah, just shithead. Yeah. And Rufus Seal's great. I love Rufus Seal. But, like, just the shithead forever just slapping him three times. And you're just like, no, this isn't. Like, as a viewer, as, as a, a film consumer for decades, you're just like, 
this is this is not the right world. This isn't this isn't right. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's a marvel. Um, it's in, yeah, it's an it's an incredible movie, and it's it's one of those things that like it's it became. If this accidentally won Best Picture, I'd be like, okay, well, that would be really weird. But um, <laughs> there's a tie between Judas and the Black Messiah, Sound of Metal, and uh, Sound and, of Metal, The Father, and Nine Days somehow won Best Picture. <laughs> it's not um, even eligible this year, but it somehow won. Um, yeah, my new thing with. So we've been watching like the Marvel things, and you know, uh, we watched uh, Infinity War the other day, and like I pointed out to my wife, I was like, "Oh, that's that's Will, that's Will, he's just right there." I always forget Winston Duke's in that movie. Oh, but he's just black. like him now, and I just it's yeah. it, Nine Days has colored my whole universe. Um, it's an incredible movie. I recommend you watch it, but I also. Like you said, it's if, hard. It's it, a tough, honestly, it's a if, tough if watch. If you have any issues with like dementia or like have dealt with it, I don't like doing the trigger warning thing. But like, this is not. It's this is not gonna. I mean, yeah. I would recommend you be. watch like a more or away, away from her. Yeah, those are fine. Those or are, you know, you can digest those. And I was gonna mention it, and I didn't mention it. And not to discredit either of those movies. No, no, they're one. There's brilliant movies. Yeah. A movie that isn't brilliant. But I think tries really hard and means really well is Viggo Mortensen's Falling. Can, can we put over both on that one? Yeah. Um, is a good attempt. Falling is a good attempt to do this. Falling, movie. you didn't. You know, I don't think. I think I said it right before we oh, did. Okay. But it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, Viggo Mortensen's Falling. It was. It's. It was eligible for everything. It. You know, I saw it as a screener, and in. Um, it's. You know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but it's also about dementia. Viggo Mortensen plays the son, and um, Lance Lance Hendrickson plays the father. And the father is also, you know, going through dementia. He's going through some time stuff, and Viggo Mortensen is going through some time stuff, more of a remembrance aspect thing. Um, But this This is Mortensen's directorial debut. Which I thought was weird. I thought he directed tons of stuff. For some reason, I thought he directed Captain Fantastic. No, 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 no. Remember Captain Fantastic? That movie... Meant he got nominated well for that, right? For best actor, yeah. yeah. Maybe it wasn't bad at it, but the movie stinks. Um, but Lance Henriksen is just really racist and belligerent, and I guess and there's definitely I didn't see it, but Viggo Mortensen's character is gay, right? He's gay, but it's Viggo Mortensen, so he's just. I mean, Viggo Mortensen is amazing. Um, actually, I think Viggo Mortensen is great. I mean, I thought Viggo Mortensen deserved to be nominated for Green Book, and I think Green Book stinks. But I was like, he, he's just gone. He's just disappeared. He looks like Fat Viggo Mortensen, but he's just clearly not. Um, so, Falling, interestingly, kind of does... It wants to do the same thing. It wants to present a man at, like, his... At the moment where, like, this... He's got to make a choice. Or people have to make a choice for him. Um... Because of dementia, because of he can't take care of himself anymore, um, but it leans really heavily into these kind of uh, dementia cliches. And I know I'm not a Viggo Mortensen's not taking advantage of anybody here. I, I'm assuming, you know, what I mean, he had a thing he wanted to do, and blah 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 blah. Um, but it doesn't like those other movies. Those other movies put you in like the mo- the mode of a caregiver. This movie never puts you in the mode. It always leaves you in the mode of observer. Of observing a man with dementia interacting with his family. What does that look like? The magic or the miracle or whatever it was the word that you said, or the marvel of this movie of the father is that it puts you in 
Anthony Hopkins. It puts you in Anthony's head. It yeah. puts you in Anthony's in in his perspective. It puts you in his world, and you and you totally feel it. Falling means really well. It's just it's not doing this. It's it's just not. And I it's one of those. I feel bad for Viggo Mortensen. I think he had good intentions. Lance Henriksen gives everything he's got to this movie, but it's just it's just miscalculated. Well, and my and my comparison com, like comparison to that also would be um, Richard Glazer's Still Alice. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think Lisa Genova's book is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's it, it's you know told from mostly her, but Alice's point of view. Um, and I, I think does a really good job of, you know, saying what is kind of done in the father, whereas mm-hmm. the film still Alice is kind of still narratively structured in a really controlled way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so is the falling. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's kind of like my comparisons. Yeah, just like the fact that this movie, the father allowed itself, just gave itself over to the. I, I guess you could say the concept over over to the theme mm. of it, over to the the premise, over to what it's expressing, and right. just just with you know outside of those two or so scenes where you can be narratively grounded, it fully committed itself. Yeah, it's kind of in because it could have been like this could have been an abject. It was either going to be a great success or an abject failure, and when I credit I have- to everyone involved that it's. I have a lot of problems, in, in, except for a couple of like very obviously staged, or you know, very the monologue and all this other stuff. I have a lot of trouble imagining what this would look like on stage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This moves so easily, and it almost like you just it almost seems to need a film's kind of um, not perspective, dimension, not perspective. I guess so. I just need to be there. Yeah, the only I need thing... to spend. I need to spend the amount of time in Anthony Hopkins' face. The only that I do part that I saw where I was like, "That's from that." That feels like it's lifted from the play is where Anthony's kind of like feeling around where the picture was, and mm. I was like, "Oh, that feels lifted from the stage." Like I could imagine the scene transition where they take the painting out, you know, and the paint is off. Well, and the other one is, I think, the other one. That maybe think directly of that stuff is the slapping scene where he like cuts away really fast. There's like some fast cuts, mm. and I was like, that it broke my heart to watch it here. That would hurt, like viscerally hurt on stage because there can't be this stupid like kind of cutting. Oh, especially since like they're they're pulled slaps in the film, and I'm sure Frank Langello and um, I don't know, but I from the American performance, I'm sure Frank Langello just. Got full on slapped. Frank Langella knew he was going to be in a movie called Trial of Chicago 7. He's like, I deserve to be slapped for this. <laughs> Even though I'm going to do it as well as I can. I deserve to be slapped for this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 fantastic. And I'm glad we saw it. And we're rounded out now. Like, I feel like... We have seen all eight of the Best Picture nominees. Yeah. And re- re-upset it. We could do it right now. Our rankings of the Best Picture nominees. I, I had put in my top tier. I had put um, Promising Young Woman. Judas and the Black Messiah. These aren't ranked within the tier, right? Are are they ranked within no, the tier? No, they're they're just within their tier. Judas and the, I'm just gonna say my top tier and my my very bottom. Promising Young Woman, Judas and the Black Messiah, and the Father are all my top. Um, all for different reasons. I, if I'm gonna rank all three of those, I think Promising Young Woman is my least. 
mm-hmm. and Judas and the Black Messiah are bat- neck and neck for very different reasons. Yep. And then, you know, down there at the bottom are Trial of the Chicago 7, and 100% at the bottom is Nomadland. Yeah, I mean, I've got Judas, I've got the father in my excellent category. Very good. Sound of Metal and Minari. I have Sound of Metal and Minari in my yeah. very good as well. Okay. A Promising Woman in Nomadland, and that's like a totally different, like, one-hour conversation. In my that okay, I, I had if we idea. had, If this was fucking side street, we had some buffalo wings, yes. some popcorn, and some high life being delivered to us, we'd be great. Um, Mank, and then Trial. Yeah. Um, anything else? No. But rounded it out, I'm glad we ended the our best picture watching on a high note. A uh, very high note. Me too, in that it didn't... It, didn't, um, it would have been a real bummer. I was, I, was a, I was really scared. I remember saying, like... I remember the first thing I texted you after this was like, I'm glad the only best actor nominee I'm upset about is Gary Oldman. I know. And that is that is travesty. But um, he's not going to win. And we can smile about that. What if he won? <laughs> we'll be right back with Tom's number two. Tom, Gary Oldman's not going to win. You can stop now. I just want to make sure. Okay. I just, okay. I'm worried. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm going to peter out. Fade out. <laughs> Maybe I'll just do this through the whole, the whole thing. Um, my number two, uh, I'm not going to waste any time because I'm going to have I have a lot to say about like a lot of different things about it regarding this movie, um, is the 2001 Terry Zweigoff movie, uh, Ghost World. Hey, hey, what do you think you're doing? That damn noise. Rock and roll, baby. Freedom of speech. <laughs> that guy rules. They can't believe we made it. We graduated high school. How totally amazing. I can't help but feel I had some small part in how you turned out. <sighs> Sometimes I think I might be going crazy from sexual frustration. You just hate every single guy on the face of the earth. That's not true. I just hate all these extroverted, pseudo-bohemian losers. You guys up for some reggae tonight? Do you have any other old records besides these? Seymour does. Who does? Oh, uh, him. He's the man with the records. What, are we in slow motion here? Come on, what are you, hypnotized? Have some more kids, why don't you? John Pehichan Ho. Gina Hassan Ho. I'm allowed to place one student from your graduating class for a full one-year scholarship, and I took the liberty of submitting your name. This could be a really great thing for you. Would I have to take classes and stuff? <laughs> well... I'm just not the kind of guy who has a type. Every guy has a type. What about her? Whoa. Would you go out with her? As long as she's breathing. Hey! Hey! You! How many times I tell you? No chef, no service. Get the hell out of my store. What do you think this is? Club Med? It's America, dude. Learn the rules. Loosen up. Feel the music. Ghost World. The underground comic book comes to life. We have to get together this summer. Yeah. That'll definitely happen. Written by Daniel Klaus and Terry Zweigoff. Directed by Terry Zweigoff. Do you serve beer or any alcohol? After about five minutes of this movie, you're going to wish you had ten beers. All right, so Terry, uh, um, Ghost World, you know, 
Where to start? I'll start Pat here. Healy. Pat Healy. I'll start with Pat Healy. No, we're going to start with Patrick Fisher. He would go to blow people's minds in the same year in Mohan Drive. Who played one of the most confusing roles ever in one of the most confusing movies ever. Is your like mind opening up and you're trying to imagine Pat he- or uh, Patrick Fisher in Mulholland Drive? Was he was he the he wasn't the homeless man was he? Oh no, he wasn't the homeless man. Who was he? Dan. Dan? I don't know that character. What's fucking Dan. If you saw, you'd be if you I haven't seen saw Mahol- it, you'd be I like, oh yeah, Mulholland Drive in college. I wish I could watch it again, but I'm not gonna. Um, let's start here at the York Square Theater in 2001. I was. Um, when this movie came out, I was 19 years old. And so I had been going to New Haven for like a while for stuff. So me and my like friend would have this thing where we would um, see how fast we could drive from Milford to New Haven to go to Sam Ash in my Geo Metro. And I, I didn't... Where was the Sam Ash? Sam Ash is off of exit 59 on the Merritt. So it's almost in Woodbridge. Or maybe it is in Woodbridge, technically. But it's it's like right next to Valley Road in um, which is where like the projects are in New Haven near Southern. Remember, oh, do you ever go over there? Where cat? You know where Cat's Deli is? You know Cat's Deli over there. What? Cat's Deli is in. We're getting off track. Good. Okay. Good. But it's around the corner. Okay. Um. So that was my New Haven. I was dro- I was driving to New Haven. Driving, you know, go to Cutlers and stuff like that. But um, ever since I could drive. Like, you know, I'd go to New Haven. But when I turned, after I graduated high school, it seemed, it was like the thing we kind of did was go to New Haven. I didn't go, it, it seemed, I have to imagine that New Haven for me was a lot like, um, and I don't know if you have experience with this being from the West Coast, but like the way that people talked about going to the city, like to New York City, like I never like New York City was awesome, but I just always felt like New Haven was the coolest place in the world. So I was perfectly happy to go to Toad's Place or go to Cutler's. Like the the city for me growing up was New Haven, um, and so it had this extra cachet. So me and my friends we went to see Ghost World the second it came out at um, York Square Cinema, um, which is now Campus Customs in New Haven. If you're if you're if you are into that. Um, I don't. Did you watch? Did you see Crumb? Did like? I mean, you were young when Crumb came out. Did you have you seen Crumb at all? Do you like our Crumb? Like the cart, the cartoonist. No, no, so yeah, I was kind of my. I had a buddy who was like really into our Crumb. I was kind of indifferent to him. I was indifferent to Daniel Klaus. Um, I knew who Daniel Klaus was. I knew what Ghost World was. I knew what Eight Ball was. But I was not like a guy who was like. Sir, I was not about that stuff. I was all about music. Um, I was getting into movies. Comic books were not on my radar, but at the time, underground comics would become kind of like a big deal. So Ghost World would come out. It would get nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. Remember American Splendor? American Splendor came out like two years later, I think. Was that also Daniel Coles? No, no, no. But oh. it's it's Harvey Pekar. Right. Um, you know, Paul Giamatti is Harvey Pekar. So this is like the... Age and I kind of I feel like you should have talked about this when I talked about High Fidelity when I just assumed that all the movies I saw were going to win all the Oscars. Did you ever go through that period? Can, yeah, can, go ahead. Can I be honest with you about something really quickly? Yeah. When you've been referencing York Square Cinema for this entire podcast, mm-hmm. 
I don't know New Haven really well. Yeah. And I always assumed York Square was on the West Haven line. No, it's right in Broadway. Yeah, I'm looking at it right. I didn't realize that it was legitimately in downtown New Haven. Yeah. I'm looking at pictures now of old... This... Yeah, New Haven sucks ass. So this is like, what's here now? It's ca- campus, campus customs. customs? Yeah, a, re- a renovated campus customs. I never. I, it's I a travesty. Know, I don't know how I never realized. Well, Mario, that. this is what we've we- been doing this podcast for three years, and you said York Square. And you said I've gone down. Yeah, to yeah. Meet, I think recently you finally said I went downtown. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would you go downtown to go to York Square Cinema? I think you said this like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I just realized that down it, York Square is downtown. Yeah, but well, it had not existed for years by the time you moved here. Yeah, it closed in 2005. Right. So, I mean, it was, what, five years? Bef- you know, yeah, it had been gone. Years. So, we would when we would hang out in New Haven, we'd go to the Yale bookstore, which was the greatest bookstore in the history of the world. It had every book you could ever want. Um, which was... So you know, you know, five hundred feet away. You know how the Yale bookstore now is half books on one side and half shit on the other. Mm-hmm. Yale clothes. No, it was it was a great bookstore when I moved. Right. Okay. Good. Um, so we would go to the Yale bookstore. They had everything. That's where we would Cutlers. Buy. I assume. We'd go to Cutlers, and then or and then we go to York Square. Educated Burger. And we'd get food like wherever we wanted. Like educated there was Burger. Uh, well, Educated Burger. We were losers, so we'd go to Alban Pan, which was like down the road. Uh, Coffee two was kind of like across the street ish um but like we didn't we were young we didn't eat like we didn't eat food we would eat sour patch kids at fucking you know that was our meals and we just go to we'd read books and shit at the at um yale bookstore yale bookstore we'd go to cutlers we'd you know get a couple of records or something and then we'd go to york square cinema that's, and we would just eat candy or popcorn well, as like our me, food i mean that's like when i moved here i would go to cutlers to look at the criterions Mm-hmm. Get educated burger, and then go to the Yale bookstore and maybe pick up a book. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's what you did, and you unfortunately missed the opportunity to see movies on a really shitty screen in a really narrow theater, a really long theater um, that kind of did this. It definitely had a hill to it, so when you walked in, it was paneling on the walls. There was forever a poster of until they closed. I I think until they closed, there was a poster from Boys Don't Cry. Right when you walked in. Not all the doors were ever open. It was just like the one door in front. They'd rope you off and you'd go up this hallway. And like, so the whole front of the thing was just a hallway and it had this orange and brown and yellow checked carpet. And you walk up a hill and you bought your ticket. And then there was a concession stand right in the middle. And there was two theaters on either side. And you go to the theaters and the theaters were really long and it did one of these. It's like a really heavy. It was like Cine one, two, three, four, but even narrower. Yeah. And, um, but that's where we saw like, a really deep decline. By yeah, the way, yeah, we had like our, our listeners, our minds fucking blown. Um, yeah, they can't see they can't see me doing this. Um, so we went to see this movie because they were really into our crumb. They were really into drawing. They were really liked um, crumb, and I was just along for the ride in a lot of ways because it was New Haven, and we go to see movies there, and that's what we did. And then I went back every single day for two weeks to see Ghost World until it left. And if I was had to work at night, I went during the day. And if I had to work during the day, I went like the last showing that I could that I could get into. Um, it just it turned something on inside of me that I'm actually I've been writing a lot about it recently, and I'm still not 100 percent sure what it is. Um, for those who don't know, Ghost World is an adaptation of 
Daniel Klaus's um, graphic novel by the same uh, same title. Ghost World actually is is a kind of it's not a graphic novel per se in the sense that it was like a, a run of issues of his comic Eight Ball that he just kind of that he took out and then he they they marketed it as not marketed it but like it, it's the Ghost World issues and you know it's like a separate kind of standalone thing. Um, Enid and Rebecca, played by Thor Birch and Scarlett, jo- a young Scarlett Johansson. Um, she's like seventeen. When yeah, she yeah. Is. Um, I mean, Thor Birch is twenty-two. Which and Thor Birch had already in, did uh, American Beauty, mm. like you know, a year and a half before. Right? No, she's like yeah, she's like nineteen when she did. Right. So it was just it was like um, Thor Birch was somebody. Scarlett Johansson was in some stuff as a kid. Like she this was is in the this horse is a whisperer, yeah, horse, I think. little past horse whisperer. Ah, horse whisperer. Little before Eight Legged Freaks. But here's what I would say: is that the interesting thing about like my three and my after two, after Home Alone three, right? The, Pat, which Pat Healy is in, he is. Um, this has nothing to do with why these movies are on my list. I just think it's interesting that the moment that these actresses, these actors, kind of entered our conscious, the like the film, the cultural consciousness for Scarlett Johansson and someone like Jack Black, I think are in these last two movies. You know, Jack Black was up around forever pre-High Fidelity and then he does High Fidelity and everyone's like well yeah Jack Black and where Alina Douglas left yeah yeah. oh it's, she's in, I love Alina Douglas she's but. the best and Scarlett Johansson's the same thing Scarlett Johansson does a bunch of movies as a kid but she does Rebecca in this and then everyone's like who's this who is this husky voiced ingenue who's you know in we want to be in all of our movies now who would make a bunch of shitty choices for the next, like, ten years I mean, before I, she does I stuff have, again. I have some thoughts on Scarlett Johansson in this, but... Mm. This is my first time watching this movie, by the way. Like, I know. I'm so watch. interested to hear. Um, that's why I want, I want to... I'm not going to get through this fast, but I want to get through it fast. I'm doing my best to get through it fast. Um, so, yeah. There are... There are disaffected teens who hate high school... And who, at the beginning of this movie, they graduate high school. And they're not going to do the same thing that anybody's going to do. Because they always do exactly what they want to do. And what they want to do is, like, hang out and make fun of people. And they trick this guy, Seymour, played by Steve Buscemi. Who I just assumed was going to be... This role was going to be... You know, Steve Buscemi's going to get an Oscar for this movie and everything. Um, They trick him into, like, meeting this woman at a diner. And then... They kind of get obsessed with him, and then Enid gets more obsessed with him because he's just like her in a lot of ways. Um, and then everybody's life kind of falls apart. All Everyone's plans, all the things, all the concessions that they had made to kind of live a normal life while still maintaining a semblance of themselves kind of um, breaks apart. Um, there's a Bob Balaban performance where he's just putting too much jelly on a bagel and just is just way too into eating that bagel and it's always made me really uncomfortable the way he's just kind of like dumping jelly on the bagel and this is so good it's always just freaked me out terry gar is in this movie where like uh playing bob balaban's girlfriend who was you know uh, i guess they weren't married i don't think but they were like in a long-term relationship when Enid was a little girl um i was a big mr mom fan Mr. Mom almost made this list. It's probably in my like 120 to 115 range. Um, so I was a big Terry Gar person growing up. I was like, I. It's weird when you grow up knowing exactly who Terry Gar, <laughs> who Terry Gar is, and then when you see her in this movie, you're like Terry Gar. And I remember that. But the point of this movie, Mario, is that like I, I just 
I kept going back to this movie and something kept pulling me to this. And it's so funny because I went to see this movie with my buddy John Paul, who I mentioned a bunch of times, and also my buddy Andy, who I don't think I've mentioned at all in this podcast. And then one time I went back to see this movie and Andy also had gone back by himself to see this movie. And me and Andy kind of, and John Paul just kind of did everything together. That was also a weird thing too, where... Like, it's kind of like seeing your teachers out in public by themselves, and you're just like, oh, yeah, you have a life. And that's the thing that a lot everyone says. When I saw my buddy Andy at a movie, and it was like, I didn't see him until after the movie. And I was like, you were just, like, in that movie? Like, it just seems so weird to me that, like, we both just went to a movie, like, alone. And those are the first movies I had gone to see alone. And by, I've gone... So when I was 19 years old, I now love seeing movies alone. I've been seeing movies alone, like, ever since. I started seeing movies alone at, like, 15. It's the best. Seeing movies alone is great. But I didn't do that. I mean, I didn't... When I was a teenager, it was just... It was always, like, a big group of us, or at least one other person that was going to see something. Um, And I think part of my interest... And so maybe this is, like, the dividing line here. Maybe High Fidelity was a dividing line, and this kind of accentuates that. Is that, like, my... Everyone's interests of my friends all lined up. So you just had a bunch of people who were all interested in the same thing at the same time. We talked a little bit about the Big Lebowski last week. There was a big group of us that were just like, the Big Lebowski, yay. There was always a big group of us that like collected comic books, that collected action figures, that were really into Star Wars, that were really into like uh, the art of Yonan Vasquez, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac when it came out, um, Glenn Danzig's comic books, which was essentially just like porn. Um I don't know if you were ever hip to any of that, the Verotic stuff that he was doing. It was just porn. Um, but like comic Dude, books. I was watching the Scream movies yeah. and at this point. <laughs> there you go. Um, We've learned um, my, my tastes are pretty passe when it comes to like modern entertainment. I like. The but, that's what we were, stuff. but that's what we were. Like, that's what we were, Comic books and all this other stuff. That was like our life. A bunch of us all liked the same stuff. It splintered at some point. And I think it continues to splinter. I think it's one of the things that I'm kind of learning as I grow up is that, like, you're never going to have the same interests as everyone else that, like, you know. So, like, you and me are going to have different opinions on movies. And me and JP are going to have different opinions on records. And me and my dad are going to be kind of into the same, like, you know, the same music, but he's going to be more into it. Or I'm going to be more into it. Or we're going to try to mention something and he's going to not listen to it. Or he's going to mention something to me and be like, man, I don't care about that. Which works really well with this movie. Right, right. Everything kind of splinters and it kind of, it like fractures and all this other stuff um but i've never been able to nail down like a hundred percent what it is like that drew me to it and at first i think i was just like well i'm in love with thor birch like i was in love with thor birch at the time and then i kind of got over that and then i was like well it's like the seymour character like i identify with the seymour character you know and his love of stuff and blah 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 um and then but that never seemed real either. And so what I've kind of taken away from this movie ultimately is that um is like the ending. Is where Enid just kind of gets there's a bus, she tells this old guy, Norman, who's waiting for a bus, and they're like, Oh, the bus doesn't run here anymore, and he's like, She hasn't run for two years. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. And then everything in the... I love, also love the delivery of that line from that actor. You don't know what you're talking about. What was about. that? It was... I don't know. Actor, but he's just like, you yeah. don't know. It's so passe. Right. Um, or, so... Enid's whole life falls apart. And she sees this guy 
It is whole life falls apart, but I want to make this really clear. But she has a chance to to redeem it. Not redeem it. She has a chance to pick it up. But it would be to pick it up with concessions. She would have to betray some aspect of herself to kind of stay in this world. And after her whole life falls apart and she kind of decides she doesn't want to do that, she gets on the same bus, which doesn't exist, and she just fucking leaves. And I think in a lot of ways, I've internalized a lot of that message over the years, which is that sometimes you're just yourself. And there's no amount of... You're not going to make concessions because there's no concessions to make. Like, you can't let go of... I'm not going to chop off my arm, like, just because you... I'm not saying you, I'm just looking at you. I mean, I... I because you asked me to. Because you asked me to. Just, like, for the... Like, like, oh, make... Your life would be easier... My life would be easier if you chopped off your arm. And I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to chop off my arm. And I feel like that's how Enid feels about getting rid of, like, her dolls and her hats and or her Or living stuff. with Maxine for a while. Yeah, yeah, or, or, um, which is like a concession she could make, right? And she can, she can work at, she's, and she tries to work at the computer store, and she tries to work in the movie theater, but working at the movie theater, she has to be herself, and she, she just, can't, she can never be herself working at the computer store. Even like her relationship that she kind of gets in with Seymour, it's not about. She doesn't want that consummated. She doesn't want to be boyfriend and girlfriend. She's reveling in the idea that there's also someone who doesn't fit in the world. He is the same as that Skip James song. He is the same as her old lady hats. He is her, the same as Goofy Gus. He's just another thing that kind of, that Enid feels is ex- exemplifies a piece of herself, is another thing for her collection, is another thing to put on, which I've talked about a little bit on this podcast, I think, on the bookshelf, on the kind of metaphysical bookshelf of herself. Here is Seymour's space. Now I'm more myself. And he doesn't want that. He wants to be, he wants to have a, like a legitimate relationship. He wants to be boyfriend and girlfriend. She is a salvation to him. And he, he to her is just like another weirdness. And I don't, I, again, I don't jive with the comic book. I don't know if that's like exactly what Daniel Clow was meant to do. It's, I'm assuming it's what Terry Zweigoff meant to do because he hates everything, which is another thing that I love about this movie is that like some directors make movies and you kind of, um, you don't know how they feel about certain characters. Terry Zweigoff clearly hates a lot of the side characters in this movie. He hates Blues Hammer. He hates them. He hates the, why don't you have some more kids, why don't you, lady. He hates that lady. He hates Bob Balvin. He hates Terry Gar. He hates them. He hates dress lady. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he really hates, hates dress lady. Dress lady. Um, and I kind of, I kind of. He frames dress lady like he hates. But it. that's the thing. It's all about the framing. He yeah. frames dress lady and blues hammer in like the same way, like, like a lower, no, a lower shot. Look at it. So you get like the worst possible. Like it's, it's obviously I don't know the actress's name. She actually went on to do some like stuff but he frames her in such a way where it's like a lower camera so like presents the worst possible image of that actor to make them look the worst it's just <laughs> but it's but it's i think it's it, it exemplifies and i don't, this movie. I, don't, I don't think he's a great director i think bad I santa think he, sucks well bad santa's i think good 
because for other like bad yeah, is fun spite, for other reasons it, but i don't think it's well directed it almost doesn't seem like it's directed at all yeah it just seems like it's a movie like we're gonna make billy bob thornton santa claus <laughs> and he's gonna be a shithead that'll be fun right and it was fun but it was also, also not never, this movie. I never saw, also never saw Crumb. So I never saw Art School Confidential either. Which so. I think Art School Confidential is also terrible because I think. Did it's you just, it's, did you see Art no, School Confidential? No, I saw I saw that like immediately after like it hit DVD because I remember it thinking it was. I remember thinking like I saw it because like it was from the director of Ghost World, like it's this big thing, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And, like, it's going to be, like, the film that breaks through with the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And I watched it going, like, this is missing on every step. I'm going to be... I never even watched it because I don't care. And also Maxman Haley, who will be in Spiral, um, should just never be the lead in anything. Is the lead in Spiral? No. Chris Rock's the lead in Spiral. Oh, is he the lead in Spiral? Yeah. I thought he was just in Spiral. No, Maxman Haley's Chris Rock's partner. Oh, okay, cool. And Samuel Jackson's Chris Rock's father. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. They speak exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, but that's it. Um, it's un- what, it's what, uncompromising what, in its what, view of everything. What? I don't know. Feel like I. Why did you have to watch this every day? Because I didn't get it. Because I I got it. But it was doing... Like you couldn't figure out what you were connecting I with. guess I, I, I could kind of figure it out. But I, mean, I think there's, a, there's an aesthetic thing on, on... Like you couldn't figure out like where, why you were obsessed with it sort of thing? So or what you I, couldn't figure what, out why you were so attracted to it? What I would it? point to is kind of the thing that we... And I've been saving my answer to this converse, this textual conversation that we've been having. When I made the comment, I watched... I showed you me watching nine days. My screener for nine days, which will run out soon. On my projector at my house. So I had 10 feet of Winston Duke on the wall of my house. And it was fucking great. Oh, it's just the best. The last, the, like, the last monologue, 10 feet across your wall and like pure darkness. Is, that gets, whew, that gets a criterion, right? I would it, hope so. I, I would think. Um, what I knew watching Ghost World is the same thing I knew watching Nine Days. Is that I've got to hold, I've got access to something special here. I don't necessarily know how it's special. I think nine days if I put on, because if we, one of the things I'm going to talk about when we, I do my number one is the idea of the fluidity of this list. If I was to put nine days, nine days is going to make the list. Okay. Nine my days list is, is not fluid at all. Nine days is probably going to be like in the, in the 40s, maybe. You know what I mean? Maybe even like in the 50s or 60s. Because, I have I just I just don't internalize any aspect of it. I just fucking love it. It is a joy. I think aesthetically, emotionally, it's just a beautiful, beautiful movie. I- um, and I, but it's but I think if I had seen it in two thousand one, it probably would have ruined my life, and it would be like my number one and all this other stuff. Which is interesting because like my number one is a. Move. I mean, people probably know it by now, but it's a movie we've seen since this podcast started, and I instantly internalized. It right. And went like, okay, but that's, life ruined. But you know, where we're where we are doesn't matter. I recognize something similar in Ghost World. Do which you, is, so, like, do you think you would have just not to cut you off? Do you think you, if Nine Days had come out 
in 2001, 2002, you would have went to it every day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because oh, maybe I can't say that. Maybe it's only beautiful. In but do the you way think that like I, you? But do you think you would well, so, something? Your experience with it now. Do you think it's something you would have not known exactly what it was hitting at that moment and had to keep coming back? Perhaps. Perhaps because I know exactly what it's hitting. But it's interesting because I know exactly what it's hitting now. Do you think it's because of experience now, though? So that's a, it's possible. So I could identify a little bit with Enid and Rebecca because we were both just graduate we like the three of us just graduated high school we both or i'm just gonna say both they're a group whatever i also hated everything you know what i mean i also was skeptical of just kind of the demands that modern society was going to put on me but i also kind of knew when i was watching it like it's not that I'm not internalizing, like, the message of this movie because I don't even think this movie has a message. This movie seems more an aesthetic exercise than it does, like, a message movie. That feeling sort of thing. Um, It was, from a going-to-see-it-every-day standpoint, it was just, like, I know, from having gone to see movies at York Square and, like, how it worked and, you know, having gone to see movies and being disappointed that they didn't just kind of run forever, I have no idea when I'm going to get to see this movie again. Remember back in the day when... DVD and VHS releases were kind of like up in the air. It's like six months apart, you, seven months maybe. Or, or a year. If it's a holiday movie, it's not coming out to the next year. Right, yet. exactly. You just don't know. Like yeah. It was impossible to know what the when you were ever going to see this movie again. And so I was just like, I don't want to lose it. I don't want to lose it. I want to spend as much time with this movie as I can because I have no idea when I'm going to see it again. 2020 kids don't know. They don't fucking know, man. And my kids don't fucking know. I'm so I get so fucking angry at my kids when they like rewatch stuff, and I'm just like, I never got to rewatch stuff. I had to go seek stuff out. You know why I'm not not angry about it is because the the takeaway from it in 20 years is going to be a new way of seeing things. That's going to be a lot of fun to like see that we don't even know. I guess so. Although I wasn't thinking like from an east, I wasn't thinking about things Easter eggy, like. Back then, where now you're just like, I've seen it 20 times and I've pulled out all the Easter eggs. I've seen everything there is to see and I've, I've analyzed everything to death. No, no, no. But that's a part of it, right? Like, I don't, I'm, I'm going to quickly do this because it's, it's, it's a part of the conversation. Um, but that's a, there's so much media to consume about something you like. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. Easter eggy and whatnot. And you could watch, like, and there's going to be so many people now who will do the podcast or whatever the fuck is existing. The, the YouTube th- video. The, the three seashells in 20 years um, of what we're doing now. And be like, you know, I consumed all this, but, like, really this doesn't make any sense. Because they're going to, like, see through the bullshit of it. The, mm-hmm. the, we're trying to do this to get famous. We're trying to do this to, like, get views. From the, Versus, from the the analyst, from yeah, the yeah. critic, from yeah, exactly. the Easter egg hunter. Yeah, exactly. From, like, we're just responding to it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that we have no listeners really whatsoever, we don't care. Um, it, yeah, like yeah. 20-ish. Yeah. No, but it, it really is just like us hanging out. Um, and the thing that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how art of our time and art previous times is interpreted by your kids when they're our yeah. ages because they're going to have an entirely different perspective of it. Well, that's what I kind of talked because about. Because there's a, a confluence, a, not confluence, there's like an overwhelming a confluence and yeah, yeah, yeah. A just cacophony 
of media but, about anything you could watch. But I kind of talked about that when I did my Spirited Away and why my Spirited Away is so high on my list when I think it's just like this amazing achievement is that like in a lot of ways what I – my experience with Spirited Away was a lot like my experience with Akira, which was just kind of like this is a, this is a unique experience. I understand that there are more Miyazaki movies. I have no idea if there's more Otomo movies. I mean, and there really, there aren't. There's a few, and there's a few comic books, but they're impossible to get. Tommy's Akira director. Akira, yeah. And you, um, you know, you pay out the ass for them and all this other shit. Um, but my kids encountered Spirited Away after seeing every other Miyazaki movie. A bunch of times. And then can watch a Spirited bunch of times. Away, like, every... I remember when they have no idea I, of the experience... I keep forgetting the Studio Ghibli movies are available on HBO Max. I know, me too. I keep... Because I have all of them on DVD, so we still watch yeah. the DVDs, and it's just a box on our... Why it sucks. But, like, I remember when Princess Mononoke fucking came out on DVD, and me and my buddies were, like, teenagers, and we're like, Princess Mononoke! $30 thick case DVD with like no special things on it. Just kind of like a an introduction from something and then whatever. And then Princess Mononoke, yeah. we were just like, holy fucking shit, we have this movie. And so Spirited Away came to us under those conditions. Like, we got a thing! We've heard about a thing from in, in, you know, in magazines and now we have the thing and it's here. And Ghost World definitely... We encountered... We didn't see our crumb in theaters. Our crumb came to us from someone giving a, my buddy a, 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 a VHS of, of Crumb. Like, watch Crumb. And, like, he had... Was, he, know, was it Pat Healy giving you another VHS? That he no, had it was for? probably this guy, Baron, who ran Baron's Comics and Cards, who was... Was he also wildly anti-Semitic? No, 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 no. But he kept trying to convince us that he was in Vietnam, even though he was only in his, like, mid-20s. Mm. In, like, the late 90s. But it was just a huge fucking guy. That reminds me of me as like a 14-year-old trying to give it to my friends. I sold a script to Miramax. Yeah. I, I actually did that. I but. tried to convince uh, people that I was, um, that I worked for a magazine once. And I was like, I made like a card and I like laminated it. I was like, look, I work for this magazine. And everyone was like, so anyway, uh, <laughs> let's move on with our life. But there's something special about Ghost World. Ghost World is a weird thing because I I don't even really see it anymore. I watch it frequently. When's last when's, when's last time before the podcast that you watched it? I watch. I so I'm gonna be very honest with you. From from like forty from seven, whatever number seven was, to one, I watch pretty regularly. Okay. Because I I I feel comfortable with them. Because I haven't I've seen, seen my, them a lot. Yeah, I haven't seen my number two in three years. So, and I haven't seen. Your number two since high school. And I haven't seen my number one since February. I, yeah, me too. No, I just saw your number one very, more recently than you did because my wife watched it. Um, and she liked it. Um, but I... Just, you, you watch these regularly. I watch it because they feel, they feel, lexicon, they guess, feel good. They just, they just... They feel good. And like So this was... I, I think Record Store Day is a stupid fucking thing, but I almost went to a Record Store Day event just to buy the Record Store Day exclusive vinyl release like of this soundtrack. Because... Was this recent? Yeah, it was like three years ago. Got it. Um, I've... 
this movie is, and so we're going to talk about this a lot when we do my number one. This movie is, in the same way that Seymour is just more stuff to Enid, this is more stuff to me. When I wrote about, when I wrote like a 20-page essay in at UConn for like my end of, I forget what the class was called, for like my final essay for whatever, I was just wrote like five pages mm-hmm. about like Ghost World and its stuff and how like the message for me, I think ultimately is that everybody else in this movie is going somewhere. It's trying to grow. It's trying to get to that next stage. Seymour wants to be more normal. Rebecca kind of is just growing up. She's a teenager and she's just, you know, she's got a job and she's, you know, wants responsibility. She wants to buy plates. And what is all. that? Was that Lewis is getting his MBA or getting his master? It's getting his undergraduate in business administration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it Lewis, I think, is his name. Um, oh, what's his? Yeah, what's his name? He's a, like a minor, super minor character. Oh, yeah, but. Is it Lewis? I don't know why I attached it. Maybe. Oh yeah, it? that guy. The guy that talks to them at the at the at the, the graduation party. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone's doing something. Everyone's going somewhere. Bob Balaban is kind of he's going back into his past, and that's why I think this this movie is so great. You know, if we were kind of going to argue this, like the the way this movie functions, this movie's so great because it's so subtle. Bob Balaban's going back into his past, but he really he's gonna he's he's growing a little bit. He kind of knows what he wants. You know, you could kind of argue all of these other things. Um, Enid's like, this is this is me. All of these things are me. This dress I lost my virginity in is me. This record is me. This stupid stuffed animal is me. This magazine that I'm going to fuck up with markers and and whiteout and whiteout is me. This this book that you know this diary that Ileana Douglas kind of like shits all over when. <laughs> um, that kid draw, draws that like picture of the like the hammer. Well, I forget what the video name game is. Um, you know, that's all. All that stuff is her. And for a long, long, long time, and the, I, you know, the fact that I'm doing this podcast is proof that I'm not like fully out of that stage. Like, Ghost World was a just a piece of myself, mm. and. I felt that like after the first time I saw it, like, like, ugh, like, oh, this is just kind of on me now. Like, it's just like inside of me. Um, and you, I remember when we first started doing this list, and I gave you like my list, and you're like, oh, I'm surprised it's not your number one, because it real, but it really could have been. Like, there was a all, like I said, all the like, my top six movies. Your number one. I was also like, I, I remember going like, one of these two will be your number one. But it could, and it was, and it, like when I made my list, I was like, God, "Like this is hard, this is a hard choice." Because I remember when I started this list, you saw my number one. You're like, "100%, that movie that doesn't exist is your number one." Well, I was surprised with your list because I just assumed Die Hard was your number one because I feel like the movie we've talked, you mentioned most as your favorite movie of all time. It is, is my favorite movie Die of all hard. time, but it's not my pivotal movie. But I feel like that. So for me, they've always been the same thing. Nothing can be pivotal in my life without me being its, without it being my favorite, or one of my favorites. Because I'm, because like this movie, I'm just like I'm just done. I'm just finished. Hmm. Like I'm moving on. Like I'm just. It's if you're not important to me, like 
I got I got no time. I, if you're not at, and this is a shitty fucking thing to say, and it's less true than it was like twelve years ago. If you're not adding value to my life, I'm so like sorry. Like, got, I'm out. I, see, I always wore shoes, though. So that's why Die Hard couldn't be my number one. Because I always had That's a big on. problem for me with Die Hard. He would be dead. <laughs> just from not wearing shoes. Um, so this is my first time seeing this movie. Um, I had, it had been in my consciousness for its existence. Like, I remember watching... What is this? This would have been Ebert and Roper by this point, I believe. Um, or was Siskel yeah. still alive? No, Siskel would have been. Dead. Ebert loved it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember the review, but I remember always watching the reviews. I remember the reviews for this being glowing. Yep. Um, and being like, oh, I guess I should see this. Uh, and I just never necessarily got around to it. For one reason or another. Mm-hmm. And the reason I mention that is because, like, me and you, as, as I'm realizing we're getting to the end of our pivotal list. You're just realizing I, we, that? We, <laughs> I just we really approach media differently. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, like, my pivotal films change me, I guess. I, I, I come into them not looking for the film that speaks to me, but I go into them... And correct me if I'm wrong here or if you disagree. I kind of go into it and be like, when I experience them and they hit me in a certain way, um, this won't be the case with my number two, but definitely my number one. It wasn't really my case with my number three. Um, You know, I sometimes have expectations, sometimes don't, but I kind of like give myself over to them. Hmm. I just kind of have this kind of like vulnerability with Mm -hmm. art in Mm -hmm. general. Like, whether it's a, a novel, mm-hmm. a film, a video game even, um, I just kind of had this vulnerability where it's like, just take me where you want to take me. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the case of my number one, it just did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm noticing, just, just with your things, like your films, I'm noticing like when I've seen, like, I don't know, my top three, I don't necessarily know if my top three versus watching your top three mm-hmm. this feels like the definition of top yeah that's the idea yeah watching my top three i don't necessarily know if you would say like this is mario i could argue it but no you're right um it's almost like i this can is find like- ways to make that case but I think if we're talking from, like, just from the standpoint of, and I don't mean to digress, but just from the standpoint of how we started this podcast, like, from, a, like, movies we talked about at the bar. Mm-hmm. There's a list of movies that you talk about more than other movies. And those movies aren't as close to the front of your list as I assumed they would be when I saw your list. Yeah, and, and, and those things being, like, Halloween, Scream. Well, Die Hard. Die Hard. It Follows. It fo- yeah, Scream. Yeah, Scream's like one that showed up in the beginning of the list. But they're movies that like I loved and watch over and over again, but they didn't do... I look at art as something that does something to me, I guess. Uh, a reactive experience, I guess. See, and I've always been... I've kind of look at it as a... Collaborative? I guess so. I've always... 
I've talked about this. I've thought about this a lot recently. I'm always. I'm not trying to make this a me thing. I'm trying to no, understand no, 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 no. our. Approach. No, I think it's from. I think it's good. Is that, I've. I think I've always kind of understood from on a general level who I am. And also, by the way, for anybody who thinks we're digressing right now, we're actually. This is going to lead into the post. We're doing list it. podcast perfectly. Thing. Um, I. I've, I think I've always kind of understood on a on a base level who I am as a person. And movies haven't changed that they've illuminated aspects of myself and that's in a lot of ways where so that that's I think different is, from me because i'm thing. Yeah. i'm i've always felt like i'm undefined like i felt like I've, I've had a general sense of feeling but never could define what that is right and never could have really got intimated what that is mm-hmm. and particular pieces of art i mean i say this my number two doesn't do that for me, but like movies, definitely in my top ten. Serious Man's a good example um, of, and kind of even like Big Lebowski is kind of like a, an idea I kind of pursue of what I'd like to be. Um, just in general, I'm an anxiety kind of ridden person, and I'd kind of like to be a little loose. But my number one, especially, really helped define like this is how I feel internally, and like. It's giving a language to it. Um, and I'm noticing just with the, like your top three, like there's a really like I watched this and I was like, yeah, fucking course it's Tom. It's a it's a Tom movie. Like I I watched it. I like it. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't I don't respond to it for sure uh, because it wasn't like my experience at all. I think it's a really good representation of adolescence mm-hmm. and kind of like. It's a good representation of, of an adolescence I always understood to be an mm-hmm. adolescence, but I was never this type of adolescent, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, I was, the, 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 I was, um, oh, God, what was her name? Uh, the character's name. Um, Melora? Yeah, I was a Melora. Mm. I was absolutely a Melora. And, and, and I even, like, in a, in a facetious kind of, like, playing it up role that's just who i was yeah i was super sociable i like to melt into groups i was like student body president in my high school mm-hmm. ladies um and i was just like friendly to everybody because i was like i like i'm just very extroverted and just like being around people mm-hmm. and so like when i watched this and i was just like why are they so shitty to her <laughs> she's so great um and I just didn't respond to like any, but I was like, I was like, yeah, I yeah. get it, because I, I, I was friends with people who were, who were kind of like that Enid and and Rebecca sort of mindset, and like I think it is a really solid representation of that idea of of that spot of life. The thing I had a problem with though mm-hmm. was I don't love the fact that Seymour and Enid have. Really, I like the, I like I like that. Like it's the just too here. wise for me. Got it, got it. That's all right. He's drinking East Rock Wise beer now, which is good if you like wise beer. But it's almost okay. It's almost. It's not okay. as good as Rhythm. No. No, 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 no. I mean, this is this is. I could drink six if I was at my house. Yeah. I would. We would be finishing this pod. Right. We'd be finishing yeah. the other six pods. <laughs> um. Fucking. Yeah. No. For sure. Uh. Like I get it i just don't respond to it necessarily because mm-hmm. i intellectually understand it and i think um 
Close and and Zygoff are, Zygoff are doing a really Zweigoff. good Zweigoff are doing a really good job of representing that. Um, but I don't necessarily buy the character. My problem with it was I don't buy the character of Seymour being being um, enamored by Enid. The way in which Seymour is presented, I think he would... I, I, the, my, my problem with this movie is I think it... I think Enid's kind of like pulling away from everything is better if he shuns her for Dana. If he goes like... If, if it stays consistent with him going like, no... Like he like piggybacks rehad, off rehad, of her to no, the not person that makes him. Not his no, piggyback. Like like like, it's, like it's like a patriarchal. It's like not patriarchal. It's, it's, a, it's a paternal relationship. Mm-hmm. Or even frater, or fraternal. Like yeah. a fraternal relationship between Eden and Seymour. He's like kind of. He's attracted to her. Because, you know, Thor. Like, let's be honest. Like, Thor Birch is 19 in this. But, like, the way that Thor Birch is presented is like for people in our age group. The fact that like Thor Birch gained twenty pounds to this role to be like kind of like in that perfect embodiment of like what was attractive in the late nineties. Um, I can understand like if he's that sounds terrible, but I'm trying to be vulnerable in that. Um, if he's slightly enamored by it, but the fact that he's even after a bottle of wine persuaded away from his relationship with Dana and even like after he's sober goes away from it um, doesn't work for me because I don't I think with the way that character Seymour presented was like he would he wouldn't have and that's where like it lost me he wouldn't have done that and I think it I think this film still works if he like kisses her and goes like no like I'm in love with this woman, my, who's my contemporary. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. And like, I watched this, yeah, yeah, like just really quickly. I watched this as a 34 year old mm-hmm. who's like more a Seymour than I am now an Enid or Rebecca. For when sure. you saw this, you were an Enid and Rebecca, absolutely. But um, I was all. But that's the thing. I was also a Seymour. But were no, you wanted. I, I'm, I'm going to push back. You wanted. Hundred percent. I was wanted. I went 100 percent a Seymour. You think? Okay. I, I, but I can see myself like watching a movie that's like, from my perspective, I can see myself like watching a movie like this and be like, I'm an old soul. Like, but this. The, I can't so, even but think of thing, a, But it's not even like, so when I was example, art, but, internalizing at this moment was not old soulness. It was the separation between me and everybody else that my stuff represented. So I was the kid who in my house, I bought this really big, I bought this really big desk at this one point. It, like, was this big? Oh, mahogany and walnut? No, no, no. It was definitely not. It was lots of black <laughs> veneer. Yeah, exactly. But it had like two angles. So it was made to fit in a corner. It was like a command center. So You had the office swivel chair to turn? Yeah. yeah. So what I did was I made a hallway into my room. Oh, well, after the, ry- after the rhythm, that's very Weissbeery. It's like super something. Yeah. Where this is just delicious i made a hallway so i like put my desk so one of the corners was against the wall and the other so it was like flat and then i put a bookshelf 
So to get into my room, you had to literally walk down like a hallway. <laughs> Even though it was just a room. A hallway that was with a books on one side and then like this just Command fucking tower. Of- exactly. But then when you walked around the hallway, there was more books on the wall over here. And then I slept next to like three smaller bookshelves, like that bookshelf, stacked on top of each other, just filled with CDs. He's pointing to a very short bookshelf, by the way. Right. So I had like that one, like About but twice as wide, and then just like by one foot bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm doing a good job <laughs> describing by the point. Do they get it? <laughs> three of them like stacked on top of each other, and like all in alphabetical order. Like, perfectly, like, and then, like, the DVDs were there. Like, everything was just, like, apportioned, and, like, this is how, this, mm. and, like, and, like you said, this is me. Like, if you walk into my room, and you looked at all my books, and you, and if I wasn't there, and you looked at all my books, and you looked at all my CDs, and you looked at how I set up the room, you'd be like, I bet this guy is like this. And you could kind of, like, fill out, like, a personality profile, and you'd probably be pretty accurate. Um, so... I was lucky enough, I guess, in a way, to like kind of relate to both things. And Got I think that the point that you're making, I think, is interesting in the sense that I think the way that it's played in the movie is that Seymour can kind of do two things. He seems like he wants to be the he wants to be normal. You know what I mean? Like he says in the clip that I played in the beginning of um, the episode when she goes into his room and she's like, "I'd kill to have a room like this," and he's like, "Please kill me." Like, you think it's healthy to kind of... You think it's healthy to be myself? He clearly doesn't want to be himself. He clearly, clearly hates his interests. I think it's but also... But he also wants to... He also wants to desperately connect. And so while he doesn't connect with... Um, what's her name? Dana. Dana. He doesn't connect with Dana. He connects with Enid. Dana makes him more normal. But... Because she's just she's a real estate agent, you know what I mean? She's just a regular person. She listens to regular is, music. Is that is that oh man. But he chooses me, me and you are seeing this movie. He so, chooses I'm seeing this movie as like an old dad. <laughs> Cause I'm like Dana's like trying to see him and meet him halfway. She and, is. I think she is trying to see him and meet him halfway, but he's like, I don't if I had to choose Oh my god. I would choose I'm an adult. I would choose the other way. I would choose con- I would choose connectivity of interest, connectivity of self over normalization. He could stay in his room with Enid, where Dana's gonna make him do something but else. My point to this my point to this and, and a slight put not pushback on I think I think it's it's making that point. But do you think that ending like I'm not gonna be like into the entire interpretation of like is it suicidal? Because that's nonsense. Because as we go off and on, I said, like, no, that's not where we even thought. But do you think that ending is saying, like, she's kind of in the wrong in the sense of, like, she's completely detaching herself from existing in the world? That she's un- so unwilling to compromise, so unwilling to have some sort of level of growth. And, like, I don't know if, like, you responded to that Are back you ready? then. Are you yeah. done? Yeah. No, no, no continue. No, I, I just I just don't know if you responded to it back then of like that detached like she's so unwilling to be any any way malleable because there's like such an stuckness, an immalability. Mm. This is what I so 
been writing a novel, and I wrote this in my essay, and I stuck it in my novel, and I made it because my novel is kind of about this subject. And this is about the ending of Ghost World, and I love, I love the fact that like I just dropped a page of film criticism into like the the end, like the last twenty pages of my novel contains. Calm down, Kaufman. One, but it's, it's just great. Um, so I. I'm going to just read it, and then I, you can react to it, because it's, it deals with literally this exact thing that you were talking about. The ending shows Enid wearing a red dress and carrying a hat box, waiting for the bus. And what I saw when Enid got on that bus was that she had, systematically almost, lost everything. Not just her father, who was dating a woman she didn't like, and not Rebecca, who, like this character in my book, and I realized that she and Enid were just on different life tracks and that maybe that's okay. Nor was it losing her dignity when she slept with Seymour or when she lost out on an art school scholarship because the blackface print that she entered into the art show was deemed in bad taste. It wasn't any of those things, or rather, it wasn't just those things. Enid lives in a world of kitsch, is in some ways kitsch herself, and her attitude towards the outside world is based solely on how it relates to her understanding of her world, herself. Things are lame or quote-unquote retarded or suicide-worthy if they don't conform to the nature of the world that she has constructed. There is contained in this idea an aversion to growth, but to Enid, the inevitable distance and isolation caused by her continued rejection of what doesn't appear to fit within her carefully cultivated personal aesthetic is not her problem, it's everybody else's. So the fact that people fact that the people that she had previously decided were aligned to her idea of the world have allowed themselves to grow or have at least tried to grow out of what turns out to be a rather cloistered world of little old lady hats paintings of don knots and old records is both alienating and confirming in the end having either rejected or been rejected by everything that used to mean something to her she gets on a bus going somewhere unknown she is leaving because the life she had previously inhabited has moved on and she with her vintage clothing 1977 original punk looks and whiteout pen altered magazine pages is no longer a part of it. In other words, she is alone in a world she no longer understands, and her only option is to leave it. My feeling on this movie from the from the beginning, I think, has been, and I I I think I subscribe to this. I subscribe to it then. I subscribe to it now. Is that it's. We live in totally subjective universes. Mm. My universe is not the same as your universe. My universe is not even the same as my wife's universe. It's not the same as my kid's universe. It's not the same as my dad's universe. It's not the same as anybody's universe. It's fucking mine. The reason I can main, continue to live in it is because I'm willing to make concessions that Enid isn't willing to make. I am both like turned on like like just just mentally kind of like you know turned on by that but also kind of i respect it i understand it it's kind of how i've chosen to live even before i saw this movie i was just kind of like well i'm gonna go do what i'm gonna do and you can do what you're gonna do and if we can kind of maintain on those tracks cool but if we can't i'm out i'm just out interesting this is so i have a lot i mean i've left i mean everybody has moved on 
from who they were. Like you were, you left when you left Nevada, Nevada, Nevada. One of those. <laughs> you were you left some stuff behind. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've left it. I mean, we've talked about it. So like, I don't know if you've left it like, no, I'm just, that's it. I'm out. Like, it's no longer like a thing that I think about. I've left a bunch of friends and experiences and whatever behind because I recognize that they don't have any kind of, not va- I use the word value a lot, but they're just not, we're just not, we're not there. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, because I know that I'm who I am and I just don't you fitting like kind of like gerrymandering people into my life is not like the thing that I'm about because I'm happy enough being that's I mean we were talking about this off of air about like COVID vaccinations and shit like that. I'm perfectly happy living my COVID life. Um in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Mm. Like wearing my mask to the grocery store. That shit doesn't matter to me. The idea of like not going to restaurants and not going to movies and not going to concerts and all this other stuff. I'm okay. I got, I got some books. You know, I got some, I got movies to watch. Um, I come and do this and I'm okay. You know, interesting. In the way that the reason this movie doesn't work for me mm-hmm. is because I'm a type of person who looks at other people in excitement for how they see their experience. Mm. I know I, I I know who I guess I am necessarily, but I'm always excited to learn for people who are willing to like say it what they are. And even if they don't get it. Like my best friend in the world mm-hmm. um hates movies <laughs> mm. like she doesn't she could never watch a movie again and be happy with that mm. and i like love her to death mm-hmm. um because like just she sees the world in ways i could never see it mm-hmm. and like that's super exciting to me and mm-hmm. like other people i i know like just like for you, for example, like like there you have like a really close sense of identity and mm-hmm. like you you know how to define yourself and I'm kind of like I have a floating sense of identity. And I guess the way this movie like was weirdly doesn't work for me. I think it's a great film and I think it, it it's doing what it's it tended to do is the fact that Enid just isn't I can't get close to her. I can't get close to anybody in this movie besides Rebecca. Which is weird because I think Scarlett Johansson sucks in this movie as like a performance. But I feel um, like it's almost because she's just so young. Yeah, I'm not going to criticize it, but like the she's fact, not she's not got to that, like, the under the skin level yeah, yet. The fact no, I think Scarlett Johansson's great now, but the fact that like this was like her like this is the performance that got her on the blimp of anything. Well, don't you feel like some of the stuff that Enid says to her scares her? Yeah, like no, and it's but yeah. it's not even like from a character standpoint. It almost just seems like like oh, I didn't know you were gonna say that standpoint. And it was yeah, like, no, 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 no. why sure. are you? Why do you feel like that? But the fact that like I, like in this film, I'm 
I would would 100% be like the Rebecca character. Mm. But and, and so I don't respond to our central figures. And I kind of go like, what's going on? But it's interesting. To, it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. But I respect it because it's it's a world. And like... Oh, it's totally a world. Yeah, but I, I it's it's like I'm I'm 100% a person and I, I just have people I've talked to in life who are just like, I don't want to like talk with this person anymore. I don't know what value they add to me. And I'm just like... I don't know, because I just don't know it. And I don't know. That's like kind of the differences in our list. My list is like oddly at times schizophrenic, I guess. And I don't know. I don't know if that's true. But like I, I just I, I've always like I there's like a fluidity to who I am. Mm. Um, which isn't a good thing. Or you know, necessary or a bad thing. It just is a thing. Yeah. Um, I think, and I, mean, and I guess, I guess, like uh, the reason a movie like this doesn't respond to me is because there's like a a really, and I, I think it's like a Zwigoff. I keep forgetting Zwigoff. Zwigoff has a he with his films like Art School Confidential, which I don't think is a great movie, but like a good movie at yep. all. But Bad Santa and this. Have a real I didn't see Crumb. Have a really identifiable sense of self mm-hmm. and place, um, but they're really particular, peculiar senses sure. of self. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't respond to them because, like, I'm not that. Yeah, the movie. It's funny, the movie that, and we kind of feel the same. We we have similar opinions on. I remember you not liking it very much. The movie that this. I mean, I can tell you the movie I most respond. Two that is comparable to this, and you will punch me in the face. I've not punched you in the face yet. It's going to be stranger than fiction. Oh no, I get that. That's kind of. I think that because there's a rips there, off this movie is kind of a. Stunt. It is. No, for sure. But I think stranger than fiction has a fluidity of of self that like this doesn't, and it stranger than fiction is more of a me thing. Well, so I would argue that stranger than fiction has a more. It's really funny that you mentioned this because I was just reading about. Zach Penn's greatest, no, greatest this, films. Um, there's, this, there's an essay in... Um, Magic Emporium? Yeah. <laughs> there's an essay in LitHub about like um, writing fiction as therapy. Uh, uh, T. Kara Madden, or Kira T. Madden, I don't remember her name um, specifically, but she kind of mentioned this thing that like she doesn't, she doesn't want the movie to be... She doesn't want her fiction to be like totally exclusively about herself which would imply therapy she wants the view or the reader to be able to kind of uh put their own um feelings or a kind of i guess life aesthetic or whatever on top of her book and kind of get inside of it and and imagine themselves in it or whatever um Tampon teacups. Stranger, yeah, stranger than fiction. I think is more one of those movies where you can kind of, you can kind of put yourself into into it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I think a Zweigoff movie, this movie specifically, is he's very much not giving you the opportunity to imagine yourself as any of these characters. These characters exist either as themselves or as versions of himself. As as exemplified in, like, what we talked about before, the fact that he clearly dislikes characters in this movie. You know what I mean? That he's making fun of people and, like, all this other stuff. 
Um, it's it's a movie that kind of pushes you away a little bit. It's kind of like if you don't get it, I'm fine with you not getting it. Absolutely. Obviously, from what I just said, I totally, you know, me and this movie are like this because that's how if you know that's how I am. Like if we're just not working. We just don't work. And that's, I'm not going to be mad at you. And like, I'm not going to, whatever. Like, we just don't. And that's cool. Like, we just, it's not happening. I mean, but it's also, it's also a testament to this film that like, I look at this movie and go like, me and Bob, like, me and Bob Balaban are, are getting along swimmingly. Like, look at him as like, he's such a good dad. <laughs> but he's a terrible he, dad. He, well, he's, he is a terrible dad. But like, the fact that she, he changes her hair color and he's like, just looking for a spatula, I'm like, but also, like, she's crying, and he's like, why are you crying? Okay, good. I have some things to tell you. No, no, that part, like, right. that loses me. But, like... But I think, you know, on the Bal Balbin thing, I guess we can end here, is that one of the things that I find super fascinating is how many, like, people that were on Seinfeld or on NBC shows are in this movie. So, like, Bob Balbin was um, an executive from NBC on Seinfeld. Uh... What's her name? Stacy Travis was on Seinfeld. Brian George was on Seinfeld. Um, Tom McGowan was on Frasier. Like, there's this whole, like, Terry Zweigoff clearly loves Seinfeld. And just cast a bunch of people. Frasier and Seinfeld shared worlds? Yeah, they were both on NBC at the exact same time. Oh, okay. They are both part of that Thursday night Seinfeld, Friends, Frasier, and whatever... Was on at eight. Would you really consider Friends to be in that shared world of Seinfeld and Frasier? It was a part of the Thursday night lineup. <laughs> it was a part of the Thursday night lineup. But I don't know if any of these We're going to do a podcast, friends. a separate podcast one day, Friends versus Seinfeld, because they're two different worlds. And I'll get my kids on that. I'll bring my kids over here, and you'll be like, no. I'll, have, have, I'll have nobody to defend me. You'll, <laughs> you'll be like, my house I'll have to bring my ex-fiancee on this podcast. My house is <laughs> ruined. There's children in it. I need to leave. It's very true. Um, no, but um, just just really quickly before you end, like overall as a film, it works extremely well. Um, but it's this Wygoth thing, I just don't get. It's it's a weird. I just I just don't respond to. But yeah, and I don't disagree with you. Like it's it's like it's got the it's he. Wygoth is a very director, but it's like the Mike Judge thing where. They're in control of what they are try, are, are doing, mm-hmm. but I just don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, I, I don't it. get the Mike Judge movies. I The Mike Judge thing, I think, is interesting in the sense that, like, I thought Office Space worked, and I thought Idiocracy was weirdly mean. Because I thought, I know... I it, think both of them are weirdly mean. And I know idiots, and I think they mean well. I think Mike Judge in Idiocracy is saying that, like, idiots are bad across the the board where I think in reality there's some people that are just idiots and they just didn't have the opportunity to not be idiots so they had certain things kind of or idiots and I'm doing air quotes here there are they had certain things kind of working against them that um, prevented them from moving beyond whatever their intellectual station was I think the interesting thing about that meanness also though extends to like Beavis and Butthead do America and Extract. Like, there's a weird meanness. In I've never liked movies. Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead always made me really uncomfortable because of like how of how mean. It is. Yeah, yeah. I think the interesting thing about King of the Hills like is perfect. And I don't. I just I never jived with King of the Hills. I didn't Hill. jive with it, but it's not mean. It's I, like the one thing yeah. that's not mean. Yeah, 
I guess because he, he seems to be sympathetic to those characters, yeah. maybe because they're. Um, but I think the interesting thing about this is that like Zweigoff is interestingly staying in its, this own world. Do you think this is the first time Terry and Zweigoff ever got compared to Mike Judge? <laughs> uh, probably not, right? <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, no, there's some Ghost World stuff happening in yeah, Office Space. Has to be, yeah, for sure. Um, he doesn't branch. He's not making any assumptions about everybody outside of his spectrum. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and the people that he so like when when Seymour uh, is kind of yelling at that those two women with like all their kids and stuff like that, he is clearly saying like stop having kids. But he's also showing you like he's being an asshole. Like, and he's also which showing... Is, which is great. Like, Seymour's, right. like, air induction scene where he yells at that car. Just, it's just turning. He's you know. just ordered a huge glass of milk. It's a vanilla milkshake. Yes, Brad Renfro did it. Post the client Brad Renfro. It's great. If you also love Brad Renfro... <laughs> Anything else? No. I, I bit my tongue on a comment. Um, on a Brad Renfro comment? Edit that out. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> okay. If you also like John Grisham adaptations, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Do you like John Grisham adaptations? Do you like The Firm? Um, no, I, I did like the I like the client and the firm. Yeah. The movie. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were fun. I don't like a time to die. Oh, or time, time to, to kill. kill. Time to kill. You don't like the whole thing, or just like the end? I just imagine watched, she's white. I watched a bit of it. On HBO, like the beginning part of it. Matthew McConaughey is very I sweaty. I got over it. Yeah, she's very sweaty. But Client is... What's the one with Tom Cruise? Is that Client? Is that That's Brand The Renfrew? Firm. Oh, The Firm? I love The Firm. The Client well. is the one with Susan Sarandon. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. I love The Firm as a kid. Oh, okay. And yeah, I, I love the book as a kid. Like, I was... As a kid, I, was, I had such garbage reading taste. I would just read John Grisham, Robin Cook... Stephen King, which is good, and Dean, Dean Koontz. Oh, Dean Koontz. Just, just, oh, jeez. And Michael Crichton. I Michael just read Crichton, all yeah. of them, sure. like on, on Plus. Yeah. If you have any opinions on any of those authors, once again, tweet us at Film Pivotal. Or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast.gmail.com, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and see a list of the movies on our Pivotal Film list, or a list of the beers that we drank, or how to subscribe to us, or you can message us from there. Mario, we got a number, another number two coming up. We do. It's getting very we got exciting. Three more episodes. I know. It's... Also, I think we were successful. Our divergences stayed in topic. I think we did good. Yeah, I think we, we did. were. We did really. We good. were trying not to diverge away from film or pop culture. We're we, a pop culture podcast. We so. talked a lot about Ghost World. No, we talked primarily about Ghost World during the Ghost World conversation. Our father conversation, I think, was pretty solid. We did incredibly good. solid. We did good. Yeah, we did. Um, so drink some beers. Watch some movies. What are we doing? Oh, God. Oh, Godzilla vs. King Kong. Yeah. Did you see? Uh, got a four stars on RogerEver.com. I did not. I, I assume it's the highest rate of the MonsterVerse movies, though. Right? <laughs> Matt Zeller Sites gave it four stars. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I, I read the review yeah. and I kind of still didn't get it, but we're going to talk about it next week. I'm it very is excited. the highest rated, highest rated MonsterVerse movie. Yep. Take no. that, Gordon Robin Wagner, whatever your last name. It starts with a V. Who did what? The mummy? He, no, the um, the guy did uh, Kong Skull Island, oh, which I love. Yeah. I love Kong Skull Island. Yeah, very excited. For I'm this. gonna watch this movie probably tonight. It's gonna it's, be awesome. Oh, it's got a it's got a certified fresh. Yeah. 
which means they are confirmed that it's not going any lower. Adam Wingard. You He's did it. it. I saw a great picture of Adam Wingard. Like, like it was like, you know, the thumbnail that opens like a video. Did you, did you and hear? And it's just like Adam Wingard with his big beard and like, like, looking like a truck. Did you or something. hear? Did you hear yesterday what movie he got confirmed for? No. Thundercats. What? I blew out the <laughs> Thundercats. Why are they making a Thundercats movie? Live I action? I, I don't know. Who's going to play Lionel? I don't know, but... Oh, man. I re- But also he did say, like, I, I'm going to make all these movies so I can fund my smaller projects. And I'm like, good. You better fucking make a guest, too. Or, like, you better make a, like... Oh, wait. Hold on. Whatever. Nonsense. You just brought make- up guest, too. There's... Dan Stevens has got to be in the Thundercats movie, right? No, Dan Stevens has to be in Face Off. Well, yeah. sequel. Playing both Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. <sighs> it's just like, I replaced my face with my own face with my twin brother. Just imagine that. Just imagine Dan Stevens being like, yeah, we switched faces. <laughs> I replaced my face with an older version of my But like one face. mole, no, mole left side, mole right side. And just Dan Stevens doing oh, that man. for two and a half hours. He eventually sucks his own dick. It's great. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, um, pause this, go into the future, watch that movie, drink beers. And and say, like, wow, this is how Mario won his Oscar. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Um, yeah, we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you later.